his car toppled, building and tired, just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the quixotic Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Very nice. Uh, if you say the word quixotic backwards, I get sent back to my home dimension, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, this is an episode my my friend Rob called uh, called "Climbing Mount Feedback." Yeah, scaling uh, Mount Feedback. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's going to be Forever Evil. We're going to talk about Forever Evil, and we're going to talk about Mount Feedback. Uh, so, before we jump in, all that though, I would like to take a second to thank our sponsors. Or sponsor, singular. Uh, I'd like to thank. <laughs> well, we got a second sponsor. Awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm the other sponsor. <laughs> I'd like to thank In Stock Trades, and if you're not if you're not familiar with it, it is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off, with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. And if you don't know that by now, you really need to buy some Q tips. So, folks, if you go out to In Stock Trades, you can find a number of great things. And one of the things I've been talking about in the Firewater Firewater Podcast for a while now is finding your joy. You know, we're talking about find comics that make you happy or find something that makes you happy. And one of the things lately, Rob, I don't know, I haven't told you this, but I actually haven't been reading many comics lately. I have been spending time reading a Star Trek novel that one of our listeners got me reading. In public? And I've been watching, what's that? In public? Uh, well, it's on my nook, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yes, in public, but no one can really tell. Anyway, it's, it's not on purpose. Quit, quit sidetracking me. Anyway, and I've been watching some Doctor Who, so I thought, well, what could I cover for this? So, boom, here we go, folks. Over on InStock Trades, you can find a beautiful hardcover comic book called Star Trek The Next Generation Doctor Who Assimilation, the complete hardcover. <laughs> yes, folks, this is a crossover between Doctor Who and Star Trek The Next Generation. It sounds like a formula for disaster. It really does. But it does? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, mashups don't, you know, it's sort of like, oh, this sounds like, you know, bad slash fiction. But no, it's really good. I, mean, I liked yeah. it. 
Um, makes sense to me I, that they would cross over. <laughs> it really does. Well, I know, but a lot of these crossovers fall flat. I like this one. So you get Captain Picard and the Enterprise D teaming up with Matt Smith and his TARDIS crew. Then you get some awesome flashbacks of old school Captain Kirk teaming up with old school Tom Baker and Doctor Who. It's so much fun. <laughs> and the Cybermen and the Borg come together. That's great. So it's good stuff. Uh, it's written by Scott Tipton and David Tipton and Tony Lee. You got art by J.K. Woodward, the Sharp Brothers, Gordon Purcell. And you can get this 200-page book for – it normally goes for thirty four ninety nine. It's from ID um, – by the way. You can get it for 45% off for only $19.24. Heck of a deal. Go check it out in stock trades. Yeah, uh, in terms of what I'm picking this week, uh, hardly anything terribly inventive, but I just uh, listened to an, a, a couple weeks old episode of Views from the Long Box, where host Michael Bailey and uh, the guest hosts from the guys from the Leyland guys from uh, Hey Kids Comics talk mm-hmm. about Preacher. And Preacher is one of my all time favorite series. Uh, I have all the trade paperbacks, and they're often storage. And, and listening to them talk about the show made me want to go out and dig them out and read them all over again. So I would recommend any of the Preachers, I mean, starting with Volume 1, but in particular, Volume 2, Preacher Until the End of the World, in Stuck Trades has it for $9.89. Normal price is $17.99. It's 45% off. As much as I loved Preacher as a series, it was uh, brilliant and profane and exciting and violent and sexy and all sorts of stuff. It's volume two where Jesse takes on his redneck inbred family. Uh, well, he does. I, I mean, no, are. I remember it. Yeah. I remember it quite well. His, his mother, isn't it? That's grandmother, really... The grandmother. Grandmother. Yeah. Cousin Jody and stuff. It To me, this tipped it into the realm of genius. And there's a part in this uh, in this particular arc, which is in this volume, which to me is one of my all-time top ten favorite comic book moments ever. So, uh, Preacher Until the End of the World, can't recommend it highly enough. Awesome. You can find both of those on InStockTrades.com. Again, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more, and we appreciate their sponsorship. All right. Well, we are going to talk a little bit about... Wait! i got to slip something in. All right. I can't stop myself. I've got to talk about Doctor Who some more. All right. So I'll keep it short, I promise, but today's kind of an exciting day for me. Because I've been waiting for something for about 17 years that I just gave up on. <laughs> don't, don't, don't go there. I don't want to know what you're thinking. Anyway, I was waiting for something for 17 oh, get years your mind in, out of the gutter. in the world of Doctor Who. Uh, and it happened today. Uh, they released a mini episode online. This little six-minute mini episode, which is a teaser for the big 50th anniversary special that comes out on November 23rd. And this little mini episode... Features an actor from Doctor Who who did something back in 1996. He did this one episode Paul, in 1996. Paul McGann, right? Yeah, okay. I didn't think you'd know what I was talking about. So, yeah, Paul McGann, great actor. And he did the TV movie back in 96 and never got a chance to play the character on television again. He's the George and, Lazenby of Doctor Who. That is exact. What did you Did you go to Wikipedia for that or something? I How did, do you know this I stuff? I knew it offhand. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. In fact, I will tell you something about Doctor Who in a second once you're done. Okay. Um, it's about time travel. I know that part. Anyway, so Paul McGann never got a chance to play the character on TV again, but now they've done tons of novels and they did over 70 novels with the character, which I've read most of. They, they've done, I don't know how many audio CDs, but it probably at least a hundred hours of audio CDs with him as that, the actor, you know, playing the doctor and all these companions and everything. Anyway, it's always been sort of like a long, long long-term who fan to want to see 
what happened to his doctor. We never got to see how he regenerated, what happened to him, anything. Anyway, this little six-minute movie comes out today, and it's legit from the BBC, and it's about him as the doctor. None of us ever thought we'd see him as the doctor again. It's got him. We see him regenerate. It ties into the 50th anniversary special, and he name-checks a whole bunch of characters from Expanded Universe, which now are, I guess, sort of kind of canon. It's like, oh my gosh! I can hear the excitement in your voice. Oh, dude, I was watching it on my little iPhone thing, right? I was making my uh, tea this morning. I drink hot tea in the morning. I need caffeine. I'm not a coffee guy. Not that you need to know all that, but... And I swear, I almost dropped the mug when I heard his voice. Because I know his voice so well. He was in the shadows, and I hear his voice, and I'm like... <gasps> and then he comes out, and I'm, I'm running around the house freaking out. It just... I lost my mind. So, whew. I'm pretty excited. I about can that. tell, and that's that's nice. <laughs> I'm glad you're so excited about it. That's got to be. Great. I know a lot of my friends are Doctor Who fans, and I, their their Facebook pages just exploded today. So I was just <laughs> like, oh, okay. I just sort of shrugged my shoulders. I knew what it was, but yeah. I was just like, okay, it just didn't it didn't resonate with me. But I could see how excited everybody else was. The thing I wanted to mention was I thought it was sort of funny. Is um, for my job, uh, our, many of our clients are TV and movie studios. And we get clips from things ahead of time. And uh, because one of our clients is the BBC, uh, I got sent a bunch of these Doctor Who clips like two weeks ago. And so, <laughs> so I saw a bunch of this stuff, but it had no meaning to me at all because I'm not a Doctor Who fan. And I had enough of, of self-awareness to realize, boy, this is wasted on me. You know, they really need somebody here to – you know, like if 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 somebody here was a Doctor Who fan, these clips would be so exciting. But I was just I watched them and I was like, eh, okay, move on to the next thing. <laughs> you didn't see this thing ahead of time, did you? Um, no, but I knew there. Okay. Was, I knew I knew what was coming. Let's put it that way. Oh my gosh! I hate you as a friend. Sorry, you're a bad. You you can't give me a heads up on this kind of stuff. Now you wouldn't have wanted me to ruin it for you. Plus, I wouldn't. Uh huh. There was no ruining here. None of us knew it was coming. Right, but then I would. But if I told you that it was coming, it would have ruined the surprise. No, it's okay. No, no, <sighs> we're going to talk offline. We have to work on our friendship. All right, Clearly, okay. Problems. I don't want to. You know what? Fine. I'm not going to tell you about all the Aquaman stuff that comes across my desk in my job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, it's just really exciting. I mean, imagine if some thrown away plot point from. The the 1990s Sean McLaughlin Aquaman 13-issue series. No, no, no. You don't have to put it in terms of Andrew. Well, I'm just and saying. I, I'm, I know. I well, can understand how exciting that is. I really can't. Well, I'm I, helping our listeners who might not watch Star Trek right, too. But okay. Imagine some little plot point from the Sean McLaughlin 13-issue Aquaman series suddenly came out out of nowhere and was brought back in huge spotlights by DC. Like, what the heck? And, uh, oof, man. All right. I got to fan myself for a moment. I'm a little worked up. All right, let's get into uh, uh, another exciting topic. Let's talk a little bit about Forever Evil. So if you're reading DC Comics nowadays, you know that the DC Universe has – the face of the DC Universe has changed. Uh, Forever Evil is here. It's an eight-issue series that is affecting a large number of books in the DC uh, uh, family of books, I guess you should say. Like right now, I'm holding in my hands Forever Evil number one and two, two and three. I've got uh, Justice League, which carries a Forever Evil banner. Justice League of America carries a Forever Evil banner. Justice League Dark carrying a Forever Evil banner. I've got Forever Evil Rogue's Rebellion, 
I really didn't think I was going to buy a lot of this stuff on the front end, I'll tell you. Because, like, when Trinity War ended, I was a little miffed that Trinity War wasn't a complete story. I was a little miffed that Trinity War was a lead-in to this. And so I didn't think I was going to get into it. But once I started reading it, I'm finding myself enjoying this stuff quite a bit, actually. Um, are, you, are you reading any of this stuff for context? Uh, I am no. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, it, I, I totally get it because it's only crossing over to certain books. Like Aquaman, you know, even Russell Burbage, little Russell Burbage um, mentioned this the other day, which was Aquaman is out there and stuff's going on, but there's not even a hint about Forever Evil happening, which right. is kind of strange. Because in Forever Evil, like one of the things that's ha- happened in Forever Evil is the DC Universe is a wreck, a complete wreck. The Justice League is gone, as well as several other heroes. And the vi- villains, meaning the crime syndicate and their little cronies, have taken over the planet, basically. Like, uh, Central City has been completely trashed. Gorilla Grodd came in and totally screwed it up. I mean, it looks like uh, Metropolis after Man of Steel. Mm. And uh, this kind of stuff happening all over the world. And Ultraman from the Crime Syndicate has actually moved the moon to put Earth in an eternal, at least that's, yeah, I guess the whole Earth, in eternal eclipse. So Because the sun is, is painful for him. Which sort of makes sense, because he's the opposite of Superman. So the world is just a total, total mess. And Lex Luthor is actually, looks like he's going to be the one who's going to save us all, oddly enough. He's compiling a team of people to help fight the crime syndicate. I mean, he's got uh, Bizarro, and let me see here, i got I got to get to the page. But he's assembled a team of Bizarro, uh, Captain Cold, Black Manta himself, he's got Black Adam. So they're hoping to take down the crime syndicate and take back the Earth. Meanwhile, the crime syndicate is secretly – something's going on. They're running from something. Uh, we don't know what, but when they came from Earth 3 to Earth 1 or, or Earth – what do they call our Earth? Earth Prime? Just I don't Earth, know. Just Earth now. When they came to our Earth, they've hinted that they were running from something. There's something they were getting away from, which may be coming to our Earth. So you know, there may be something even more, more dangerous here. So – that just kind of puts you in the picture here, folks. I don't think there's a lot of spoilers in, that, in what I just said. Because, I mean, all of it's kind of out there. It's kind of hard, hard to miss it, really, if you're, if you're following many of the main marquee books of the DC Universe. Now, fair warning, now I'm going to get into some spoilers. If you have not read through Forever Evil number three, you should probably go away for about, I don't know, five or ten minutes. If you don't want it spoiled. Uh, because Forever Evil number three had a page and a half... <laughs> only a page and a half, that's incredibly relevant to this podcast that we've got to talk about. So, here it is. Uh, they open up. Basically, you, you remember the end of Trinity War, right? Yes. The The Crime Syndicate came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we saw the Justice League, and the, like, the Crime Syndicate sort of like appeared and said, you know, they were here to take over the world. Right. Ne- next thing we saw was suddenly the Crime Syndicate were in control of the world. We missed what happened to the Justice League. We never saw. They never showed us how the Justice League was defeated. We never saw what happened to them. The only thing we know is that um, they've been locked up in some kind of prison. Because we've seen that in the Justice League of America book. Martian Manhunter and Stargirl are kind of wandering through this really weird, trippy prison that doesn't make a lot of sense. And we've seen a lot of the Justice League members being held there, but we don't know how they got there. We don't know where the prison is. We don't know anything about it. Anyway, so along comes Forever Evil number three. And the first page tells us exactly how the, uh, the the crime syndicate beat the Justice League. Superman's dead down and out because he's got that sliver of kryptonite in his brain thanks to the little evil Adam chick. So what happens is Deathstorm 
which is the opposite Firestorm from Crime Syndicate, blows open Firestorm, basically just rips him open. And we find out that at Firestorm's heart is the spark of creation, meaning the spark that created the Big Bang. And it creates, I guess, a vortex of sorts and basically sucked all of the heroes into him. <laughs> so this prison, it's crazy. This prison that they're all trapped in right now that's really weird and sort of psychedelic and doesn't really make sense, sort of MC Escher, they are actually all trapped inside the Firestorm Matrix. It's heavy stuff. I mean, there's they explain a little bit of it on the first page of Forever Number 3, and then the second page of Forever Number 3 is this amazing splash page of Firestorm in agony. And, the, you know, he, he's got the flames coming out of his head. Well, the flames are billowing with smoke and stuff, and you can see all the faces of the Justice League members, like, wailing in pain as they're trapped inside the Firestorm Matrix. Ooh, that's the image you put on Firestorm Fan, right? Yes, you can find that over at FirestormFan.com. Absolutely correct. So, you know, I felt like it really merited talking about here because Firestorm is you know, got, has been most – actually, all the Justice League for the most – well, not all. Okay, I take that back. A large number of the Justice League have been sidelined during Forever Evil. We're not seeing them. You know, we're not seeing Superman. We're not seeing Wonder Woman other than little glimmers of them. And Firestorm, I thought, well, we're not going to see him at all. Well, it turns out that he's playing a pretty darn big part in this story, being the prison they're all trapped in. So that's exciting. I'm interested to see where it's going to go. I'd be interested to see if down the line they do more with the story about, you know, what it does to Ronnie and Jason having all these other consciousness trapped inside their brain. You know, is there long-lasting effects? Um, I, I also personally wonder, did, like, has Jeff Johns been planning this all along? That's why he had Firestorm join the Justice League so he could do this moment? Because it's pretty momentous. It's pretty like, wow. I, I, I've seen a lot of reaction online from people, and not, not even match heads, you know, but people who just casually are aware of Firestorm, they're all like, this is brilliant. You know, this is great. This is what Firestorm should be about. You know, just lots of complimentary moments about this. So I, I think it's really cool the way they've used them. I hope that they get to use Firestorm more after this. I hope this wasn't like the whole reason John's brought Firestorm onto the Justice League. I hope there's more for Firestorm to do later, you know? Yeah, um, this is, yeah. I mean, I, I, when I saw it on Firestorm Fan, I was like, wow, I didn't realize he, this is, he could not be playing a larger part in this story. Right. It's, it's funny because it really it's only a page and a half. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> but yeah. like, it felt like so much more. It's like, oh my gosh. So, um, now, uh, there, are, there are some things I'm not thrilled about. I'll be honest with that. I don't mean to be nitpicky, but, you know, we're allowed, we're, we're nerds. We're allowed to pick apart stories where we want. One of the things they brought back in this story was the fact that Firestorm, at, the, the Firestorm Matrix at its core, what powers the Matrix is the, sp- the, the spark of creation. The spark that started the Big Bang is supposedly at the heart of Firestorm. Now, that was brought up in Brightest Day by Jeff Johns a few years, about three years ago. And they, they explained that, and that became a big plot point throughout Brightest Day. And with the new 52, though, that's never been mentioned again. It sort of went away. And now, with, with one panel, Jeff Johns has brought all that back. And I'll be honest, it irks me a little bit, just because I don't really like that kind of explanation for Firestorm. Because when you're dealing with the spark that created the universe, and, and you're the... Uh, and, and it could create another new, like if he exploded, he could create the, a new universe, destroy this one and start another one. When you're the shepherd of the spark of creation, like, and, and that's your sort of job to keep it cool and be calm, 
going out there and ha- having a slugfest with hyena like the next day. <laughs> the two don't mesh to me. Like you know, serial like a science fiction concept wise, it's brilliant. I love it. It's really, really cool. But in serialized superhero fiction, I have a hard time swallowing it. You know. I guess if he was more like Silver Surfer or something, I could buy it. You know, mm-hmm. cosmic sort of big. But it's just a dude who punches it out with hyena. You know, I don't know. That's just me. I don't, I don't, don't mean all that. So I was a little disappointed when John's, John's brought that back. Actually, in the same issue, uh, this is another spoiler, folks. He stripped Captain Cold of his powers. Uh, you know, Captain Cold's famous for carrying on his cold gun, right? Yeah, I didn't know Captain Cold had any powers. Well, it, since the beginning of the new. One of the things they've done in the Flash series, which is exceptional, by the way. Flash, the Flash series has probably been my favorite ongoing series of the New 52, hands down. Consistently great. Anyway, early on, they established that the rogues had actually internalized all their weapons. So all the rogues no longer carried weapons. They were living weapons now. Ah, okay. And, and a lot of people, well, that reaction you just had, a lot of people have had. Some people are for it, some people are not. I was okay with the change. Um, you know, sure, the, the gimmicks and stuff were fun, but that's made the rogues a little more interesting and gave them some growth and new opportunities. Anyway, in this issue, Jeff Johns overturned that. Now, he hasn't been writing the Flash book. That's Francis Manipolo and Brian Bush. I can't say his name. <laughs> Surprise, I can't say somebody's name. So, Johns overturned Captain Cold, turned him back to basically the version Jeff used to write. And he took Firestorm and overturned him and turned him back into the version he used to write with the spark of creation. And it's just like, I don't know. I thought it was odd that he would take both characters and revert them back to the characters he used to write. It's almost like, uh, did he just want to write his versions or did he want to undo what other writers had done? Then Isn't that what he did with The Flash? What do you mean? Oh, oh yeah, he brought Barry Allen back. He brought Barry Allen back, yeah. um, You know... It's a minor quibble, but it's worth noting, you know? It kind of sat with me funny. Now, with all that said, let's get back into this. Uh, Firestorm as the prison for the Justice League is a major issue. Justice League number eight, we saw Martian Manhunter and Stargirl fighting their way through the prison. Issue number nine has hit the shelves. I'll be honest, I haven't got to the comic shop yet, so I haven't seen it. I don't know what happened, sorry. Um, But it continues Martian Manhunter and Stargirl trying to break out of the Firestorm Matrix, which is awesome. So I can't wait to see where this goes. I'm I'm excited about Forever Evil. I'm enjoying it more than I really thought I would. Um, it's the it's a little longer probably than I thought. You know, it's eight issues long. It's kind of a long time. I'm I'm a bit of a Type A personality. Like when I go out of town, I have to make sure my house is clean before I go because like I don't want to come home to a messy house. Sounds a little makes me a little weird, but whatever. It's me. So I sort of feel that way about the DC universe right now. Like. I feel like I went away and the DC Universe is messy because, you know, they got the eclipse and the, you know, the, the crime syndicate gets in charge and all the evils out there. It's like, oh, my house is messy. I want it clean. So eight months feels a little too long. But either way, I guess I'll get through it somehow. So I would love to hear from you folks at home. Write in. Let us know what you're thinking about Forever Evil. Uh, let us know, you know, which books you're following, which ones work for you, which ones don't work for you. Let's hear the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know? Uh, I want to know. And with that, I think we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and, again, how do you describe it, Rob? <laughs> we're going to scale Mount Feedback. I'm putting on my pitons right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will see you guys after the break. Dato, where are you? Dato? Dato? 
from break and now it's time for and i feel like sylvester stallone and cliffhanger climbing this mount of listener feedback (laughs) we are covering listener feedback from several episodes now now we've been sprinkling it in we've we've been trying to do a good job of mixing you know when we do a review episode we cover the listener feedback from that the previous review episode and stuff so we're still trying to keep listener feedback in, in almost every episode so, but we had a lot that got stored up, and we're going to tackle as much of it we can today. Now, up front, that you know, I usually have those big lists, which apparently are now a drinking game internationally, of where I read off Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, Instagram, all those folks. We're going to save that for a future show. We're mainly going to focus now on comments, emails, you know, some of the Facebook blurbs we've gotten, just different things like that. And, um, and believe me, folks, it is 35 pages... No kidding. 35 pages of uh, 11-point font <laughs> feedback. Not double-spaced, mind you, either. Yeah, so, no, this is all single-spaced. <laughs> so I say it every time, and I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart, and some of you all are starting to see it and believe it. You guys are the single best podcast listening community in the world. Except for some of you. What? <laughs> you picking out favorites and least favorites, huh? Anyway, <laughs> you guys are absolutely phenomenal. So we're going to start right off. I declared uh, October my personal Villains Month with Secret Society Supervillains and Marvel Supervillain team-up because I had run out of DC Villains Month books. And I did get through my Secret Society Supervillains, and I got about, I don't know, a third of the way through the Marvel Supervillain team-up. And uh, unfortunately, I got sidetracked with this Star Trek novel. It's all one, uh, David, I can't even say his last name. It's David's fault. One of your listeners got me thinking about Star Trek again. It's entirely his fault. But either way, my thanks out to Paul Bowler, Professor Alan, Luke Jacanetti, and Oscar Ariba for supporting me and backing me on my uh, own personal Villains Month uh, journey. All right. It's <laughs> very exciting. I used to like Supervillain Team Up, Marvel Super, because I just liked it. You know, it was basically just Doctor Who, Doctor Doom teaming up with different people. That's all I Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, where I am now in the book, he's still in Latveria, and he's like constantly having to battle for the throne. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Other villains keep stumbling into Latveria. Like, just stay exactly. out of there. Just stay out of that country. It's, the world it's like a postage be- stamp. Really? Yeah. You yeah. can't go anywhere else in Europe. Yeah. That's like. <laughs> Uh, but there's no taxes in Library, so it's worth it. Uh, so we got an email. We got an email from um, from Aaron Moss, long time first time. Uh, he said, uh, "Hey guys, I left a message on the iTunes. Thank you very much for that. But I'm further along now, still playing catch up. Currently, I just finished episode or issue for Shag. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thirty four of the Fire and Water Pocket. What, what is this one? This one's number seventy. Aaron. Now, some of the to be fair, some of these emails go as far back as August. 
guest. <laughs> oh, so. well, that was – all right. Okay, that's true. Let me start off by kissing both of your rear ends, hey, by saying that I love your <laughs> podcast and helps work my workday past up much faster. Thanks, guys. Now, on to my comments. A, I love your guys' theme songs, all of them, the opening, closing, and even the Who's Who themes. Great songs. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely That's the work of, of course, Daniel Slonoga Adams and Ashton Burge of the Bad Man Pajamas, of our custom theme songs. Well, we also have to give credit to uh, um, the gentleman who who did the Super Friends remix. Oh, yo, Michael Kohler. Yeah, that we stole the yep. Super Friends uh, song from. Uh, anyway, back to Aaron. He says, in fact, whenever I hear the opening theme, the Super Friends song, it brings a smile to my face. I don't know if the old song is just that good or just a reminder of days gone past, but a big thumbs up to the creators of the songs. Thank you very much. Yeah, we are very proud of our custom songs. We're really very proud of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, they're great. We're very, 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 very happy that the... Um, Daniel and Ashton thought enough to make such nice songs for us. I enjoy, I put them in at the the back ends of every episode, and it's so much fun. I'm like, wow, we have our own custom themes. Sometimes I sometimes I forget, and then I remember all over again. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> the Who's Who one? I swear, I I've done it before. I put it on a loop and just listen to it like over <laughs> and over and over. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, he gave he gave a shout out to, and I appreciate to the, uh, our Jerry Conway interview that we put up on. Uh, I think it was episode number nineteen. He said, "Big bucket of win." I loved that podcast. I think Jerry is one of the best creators out there. I loved his JLA run and most definitely his Firestorm run, which go, should go without saying. Uh, yeah, he goes, uh, point E. <laughs> finally, <laughs> I love this thing. This will be completely absent of context. Point E, finally, dot, dot, Phoebe Cates' breasts, as mentioned in episode 34. Sorry, I forget where I was for a minute there. Oh, yeah, Phoebe. Sorry, I keep losing my train of thought. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Just for the frame of reference, people. We were talking about Disney buying Star Wars, and I said Disney was buying everything I loved from my childhood. They bought Marvel comics, they bought Star Wars. You know, they got the Muppets. You know, the only thing left from my childhood that really kept my attention was Phoebe Cates' breasts. That's the only thing <laughs> left for them to buy. You know, I will say this: just one little thing about the Star Wars being moved to Christmas. Star Wars and Christmas do not go together. That's all I'm saying. They moved. They moved the episode seven to Christmas. Yes, it's been moved oh, from summer that. to Christmas. And I'm just no. saying, Star Wars and Christmas oh, yeah. do not have a great history there. So it's, I'm it's, with you. Know, so. I, hopefully they can get uh, t- Tim Conway and... Uh, yeah, Harvey Cordman. Well, they're, <laughs> Harvey all, they're all dead right. now. Every, Har- virtually, they're all dead now, unfortunately. But, but you know what? With CGI, they could put Harvey Cordman in this. So. I think Jefferson Starship is floating around. Uh, a couple <laughs> other things that Aaron throws in. One, I love Rob's Roosevelt impression. Keep it up. Thank you, Aaron. I will. Uh, oh, God. Thank you. Uh, point two, the Who's Who podcast. I love listening to these. I don't know if I still have them. My comics are out in the garage buried. I need to go look through them. But at one time, I had the entire run, even the later loosely format. Those were great comics, a wealth of information, and fantastic artwork. And then finally, uh, point four, Slipknot. What else is there to say? Point five, I'm currently reworking my blog and I'm planning to start podcasting. I would love for you guys to check it out when I get things going. I'll let you know when I'm done with it. Yes, we would love to hear. We love to hear new podcasts and Talk about them and plug them here on the show. So let us know, Aaron. Then thank you. Oh, and he signs it, Little Aaron Moss, aka Brotherhead from Sanger, California. <laughs> well, he's got another email here too, and he gave a little bit of an origin story. So I like this. I'm going to read this. He says, "I'm a 43 year old comic geek. Unlike most of you, I didn't start collecting comics until the mid 1980s when I was an older teen. Before that, I loved superheroes, the old Batman TV show, the Super Friends cartoon, and whatnot. But for some reason, I never started collecting until I got older. GI Joe got me into collecting comics." And then he goes on and has some other comments, and they have some really good uh, conversations about um, just uh, uh, 
about talking about he talks about the trial of the flash uh talks about doctor who he gets into a lot of good stuff um at one point i wanted to bring up i like i like this this is he says i dislike the cwing of the DC Universe, CW meaning like the CW network. I dislike the CW of the DC Universe. To me, Amanda Waller should be a large woman, hence the nickname The Wall, because the woman be built like a damn brick wall. Make her some se- Making her some sexual CW character is a wrong and a disservice to her character. Also, I dislike the mustacheless Deadshot. Just doesn't sit right with me. You know, I got to agree. Amanda Waller, she, because there aren't a lot of like, heavy set characters in comics and she, she was really unique in that way and she was a badass you know she was what a single mom i mean she had all this other stuff in her history and background and yet everyone knew you don't screw with the wall so i kind of miss the old amanda waller um i like how he signs off one of his emails clearly he's been paying attention he says until joe slab stops drinking or frank has less than five bullet points make mine the fire and water podcast fan the flame bite the vulture and slip the not now later on he asked here too rob what do you in another email on what do you think about aquaman regrowing his beard i like it i'm perfectly fine with it now we get the sense it's probably going away with jeff parker shows up right uh yeah i think so because i think we see yeah i've seen a couple covers and he doesn't have it so that's a shame i kind of like this neatly trimmed beard uh heard from aaron bias who's one of our buddies he wrote in uh he sent me a message uh telling me that on ebay there was a, a DC superpowers action figure of Dr. Fate complete with cape, which is a big deal because I, my Dr. Fate does not have a cape, and I'm a huge Dr. Fate fan. And I checked it out. The thing sold for $17. People paid $17 for an out-of-package action figure. That's insane. That blows my mind. But, you that know. seems reasonable to I, me, actually. Really? Yeah. I, the cape's Personally, the cape would have been worth $17 for me. I probably should have bid. And then he sent me uh, this. He's on the, the composite Superman crazy train, too. And he sent me this drawing that someone had done of Batgirl and, and Supergirl together as composite. But the scary thing is they're both like teenage girls, so it's like borderline pedophiliac. It kind of freaked me out. But anyway, they were hot. They, they were hot, though. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted, so... Jeez. Um, <laughs> and the FBI, I just reopened yeah, my phone. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Uh, the NSA <laughs> certainly is listening to this. Uh, I'm sure they don't want to, but they have to. Uh, we got an email from Martin Gray. Uh, he mentioned the thing. He says, um, he says, hi, lad. Just a quick thanks for the special episode. It was loads of fun. But you're asking, I do have a bit of the old letter call. I do like to have a bit of a letter call each time out. If we can have the occasional all post episode and still have a bit in the regular podcast, Brill. I don't know what that means. Otherwise, I'd vote for the regular format. And he's you, across the pond. That yeah, means really. I know. He's, he's, oh, I guess so. Okay. And as you ask about our origin stories, I got into DC Comics at around the age of eight in 1972. Uh, Lynette, over the road, would have me babysit for her two young sons. In return, I'd get 50 pence, loads of sweets, and big piles, around 80 at the time, of old DC books that her brother had left. Superman. Whoa! 80. That's a lot of 50 books. I mean, 80 books, that's a lot. Superman and Batman family books, plus Wonder Woman, Flash, GL, Adam, and other bits and bobs. Boy, this is just loaded down with slang. From around 1961 to 1964, was I a happy kid by the close of each Wednesday evening? A couple of years later, I was at a local jumble sales. God, all right. And came across. <laughs> everything got it's all. Still inks, Rob. <laughs> everything got all blobby, and uh, came across <laughs> hundreds of cheap DCs in the same period, bundled into about fifty for a pound, and I bought as many as I could carry home. Then I went straight back and got more. 
From then on, and by new issues, and by the early 90s, I was working as an editor for the UK reprints of DC Comics. He's, uh, I want to hear that story. Happy days. As an aside, one of the old comics I got was Superman number 169, the issue which, with the great DC contest, in which readers were challenged to find the supposedly single instance of the letters D and D in the entire story. Assuming No, it's D, it's D and C. It's a mystery. Oh, D and C. Okay, I don't think that made any sense to me. D and C in the entire story. Assuming the story was cleverer than it actually was, I assumed they weren't in the script but didn't have the issue revealing the solution. The net not having yet been invented and being... Okay, all right, real, real quick, just to get some... It took me a minute to figure this out. What he's saying is he bought an old... He got an old issue of Superman 169, and at the point he got it, it was already really, really old. Right, right. So the contest was a contest that happened years ago. And he, so, there you go. Now, now go okay, back to where you... Sorry about that. Uh, I assumed the, they weren't in the script, didn't have the issue revealing... Okay, being a pesky soul, I eventually wrote to E. Nelson Bridwell across the sea, convinced that suspiciously shaped puffs of smoke were the desired letters. And he wrote back on that wonderful note paper that had JLA members perched on one another's shoulders on one side, holding up something, and on the other, the 1976 on DC Bullet with the Stars. Clever stuff. Anyway, it turned out that there was indeed a D and a C in the narrative. Darn. But what a gent E and B was to bother replying to someone asking about an ancient contest. That is really cool. I that mean, it's fantastic. The fact that someone wrote in to DC on a, a like he said, an, it's a contest that happened years before, and they took the time to answer him across the sea. Yeah. Now I've seen that letterhead before, and it's pretty swank. Right. If I remember, I want to say Robin is one of the people holding stuff up. I think Firestorm might even be in that stack of people. I'm not sure. No, he's not. But he's not. Thanks for that. Okay. Well, Aquaman right. isn't either. So. Dash my dreams. But uh, it's a pretty cool letter. Anyway, that's a great Would story. Would you want to and, be uh, standing on Firestorm's shoulders? Uh, no. No, I well, wouldn't. Then Actually, now that you mentioned there it. There you go. Specifically with my legs spread over Firestorm's head. <laughs> no, I would not want to do that. Cooking. No, it's, it's like, it was like Superman, Batman, Robin, Flat. You know, like the, the, you know, the, the usual suspects. I think I'm thinking of the one that went across. The one that had like... Uh, Captain Carrot and Swamp yeah, Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a different one. That's yeah, what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Martin took the tube and then the lift to get the Jamie Dodgers on his way to do all this. So there we go. <laughs> all right. I heard from Mike Gillis. Uh, he wrote <clears throat> in a very serious tone. We got a very serious letter from Mike Gillis. <laughs> he wrote, To whom it may concern, twice in your most recent episode, Shag uses the correct pronunciation of the word nuclear. Twice. This is not the level of quality I've come to expect from the Fire and Water podcast. I can only hope that this oversight will be corrected in future broadcasts. Disappointed, Mike Gillis. <laughs> We're going to go back and re-edit <laughs> those shows. Drop thing back in. Uh, next email came from that bastard, David G- Gutierrez. He's the one who's got me. He's the one who's got me reading Star Trek books. And by the way, I'm about to stop reading all comic books altogether and just read Ultraverse because of this guy. All right. He's, he's reignited my passion for the Ultraverse also. We've been emailing each other. And uh, I'm like, I, I want to stop what I'm doing and go read like the first six issues of every Ultraverse comic. And it's all his fault. He's ruining me, people. Stop him. He's a danger to this podcast. Anyway, he wrote it in and wrote, said, might I suggest a segment? Tales from the Cubert School, <laughs> installment one, Bart, Bart Sears and his love of nudity. Uh, since I did not have Bart as an actual teacher, I am not qualified to give the stories of nudity, but there are those who could. So I will talk to them, and who knows, maybe they would be interested in coming on the show and telling some stories. So. <laughs> um, we got an iTunes review from uh, Highball2814. My name is Buck. 
Highball2814 on Twitter, and a former U.S. Marine. I started listening to the show because my husband is a fan of Aquaman, and I love everything DC. I listen to the podcast on the train to and from school. I attend film school, and while doing homework, I love that Robin Chike have fun, cordial banter. I guess he didn't hear that one episode. And are always upbeat <laughs> and positive. I have stopped listening to so many podcasts because the hosts are more negative than they were positive. Oh, boy. Robin Shag. Robin Shag have a deep and thorough knowledge of the DCU, even if they make the occasional mistake. They also graciously accept criticism and corrections. I love that they what? are. I know. I love that they are available to their fans and fellow fandom members. Keep up the great work, guys. Semper Fi. Thank you very now, much, Buck. It's a very, very nice message. Great. I want to. Yeah. I do want to clarify though. He said available to their fans. I really don't see people as fans of us or the show. I really do see see it as just a community of people of of yeah, fans of right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, by the way, I I, I sent. Buck a message on Twitter last night going like, "Have we scared you away lately <laughs> with our with our, uh, our our banter and stuff?" He's like, "No, no." He's excited for the new episode. So he's oh, moving, okay. in fact. Okay. He's looking forward to listening. Uh, another iTunes review we got from DC Dill. Our buddy DC Dill goes by Aqua DCD. Uh, so he's been a stalker of both our blogs for a while now, and this podcast is the ultimate combination of two great personalities coming together to argue and get nerdy over comic books. Uh, recently, Shag has started a notion of the fanboy quest to find your joy. I've been going through some of the same feelings myself lately and truly have to say that this podcast is helping me find my joy, meaning specifically the elements and errors of comic books that I truly love. Thanks to them for a great job. You know what? That one means a lot to me because I'm, I'm dead serious about preaching this find your joy message, and I'm so glad that people are taking it to heart and finding what they love about comic books and just stick with it. You know, It's, it's great because there's no sense in being in this hobby if you're not going to enjoy it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got another iTunes review from S. Diddy. Uh, these cats know how to bring it and have an amazing work ethic to this podcast. I don't know what I think that's meant for another podcast. Uh, along with the other 52 companion podcasts they generate a month, keep it up, and you've gone a great podcast. Continue to show why Firestorm and Aquaman are the DC elite. Well, thank nice. you. Thank you, S. Diddy. We appreciate that. Well, thanks to you guys for those iTunes reviews. Those are really great. Uh, the iTunes reviews really help, actually. They help, help raise the profile of the show. They help people find the show because, you know, the more reviews you get, iTunes suggests the show show to other people so if you get a chance it would be appreciated if you go out to itunes and either give us you know a, a click a five star rating or write a quick review whatever uh it would be appreciated heard from our buddy kyle benning he he uh he gave an endorsement he wanted the month he wanted power records to go monthly and uh, sure enough uh, he's sort of kind of getting his wish it has become its own show rob so that's yeah great. i can't promise monthly kyle but we will be doing it more often now that it's sort of got its own little own little thing. And he's baiting me over here. He's talking about he thinks I should start a DC Classics podcast <laughs> focusing on the era that gives me joy, 1982 to 1988. I mean, he really he – he knew what buttons to push. This guy really listens to the show. He's like telling me I could cover All-Star Squadron and Blue Devil and Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and Crisis. And I'm like, I'm drooling as I'm reading all this. I'm like, oh, we don't have time for that. There's just not enough time in the day. We can barely squeak out one show a week. So as much as I would love to do that, I got I to gotta say no. So. But, Kyle, you start your podcast, and I'll be a guest. How's that sound? Um, talks about finding some Silver Age issues of Aquaman. He's been, he's been scoping around uh, eBay, and he's found some great issues of uh, Silver Age Aquaman for around 4 to $6 an issue. That's a good which deal. Which is great. I mean, he's talking about issue 18, which is the marriage of Arthur and Mara. Uh, first appearance of Ocean Master, first appearance of Black, Paint, Black Mana. There's some great stuff in there he got for really good prices. So I'm impressed. And he also um, 
There's a few comments in here about people saying that we need to get the Firewater soundtrack off the ground to get all these great original songs out there for everyone. Because uh, I think this was, and I think in this particular episode we had played either Martin Stein, the Sexual Intellectual, by our buddy Robert Gross, or, or maybe it was the Green Lantern song uh, by Charlemagne and uh, Jason Jones. I'm not sure, but <laughs> the songs are popular, guys. The original songs, people love them. You know, Shag's Christmas is coming up. Maybe we should get get on that. Shag's Christmas? No, I'm saying Shag. Shag Christmas is coming up. Maybe people oh. would want to buy the album for Christmas. So. I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. Uh, he talks about finding his comic book joy. He says um, that recently, Ian recently inspired him to go back to his favorite era of comics for both Marvel and DC, which would be 1975-ish to 1992. So I've been going back and rereading old runs of comics such as Burns Fantastic Four Run, doing write-ups for them for my friend Matt's weekly newsletter he sends out via email for his comic book shop customers. The goal of my write-ups were to spotlight some of the past great stories for people who may find themselves somewhat disenfranchised in, that's a tough word to say, disenfranchised by the current superhero comics and hopefully help them find their joy. Matt owns a great comic shop in Des Moines, Iowa called Cup of Kryptonite. Plug but he has free coffee, and he has free coffee for his patrons. Matt also writes a column every week for the Outs, the Outhousers comic book news site. Now, if you're not familiar with the Outhousers, the guys, the keepers of that, has DC done something stupid today clock? Uh, which is really mean, but really funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> mean, he says... Uh, mean, but fair, I think is... <laughs> he says uh, the editor there uh, likes his write-ups and actually has him now doing retro reviews. So, folks, go out to the Outhouser com and search for uh, retro reviews by Kyle Benning. How cool is that? Now I'm going to read this. This is this gets a little bit over my head, so I'm just going to read the little words on the paper here. But uh, we when we covered Brave and the Bold a few months ago, we did uh, we did the Brave number 142 from yes. Batman and Aquaman. Yep, and there was some sciencey stuff on there about why this bomb did or did not explode. And it had to do with atmosphere and, and air pressure. Like when the, when the plane was supposed to touch ground, it was supposed to explode because of the air pressure difference. However, instead of touching ground, the plane was taken directly past ground level to the bottom of the ocean. And I argued, well, once it passed ground level, shouldn't it have still detonated whether it touched ground and tarmac or not. So he wrote, as for the science, unless I'm misinterpreting the dilemma posed in the issue, it doesn't make sense. But for a different reason. Atmospheric pressure drops as your elevation increases or as you get further away from sea level. That's why the atmospheric pressure in Denver is so low. That means the bomb, that means the bomb, if it is a low pressure trigger, should have detonated in the air. It seems like Haney had the situation confused. But again, that's assuming I understood the plane correctly, that the bomb would detonate in a low pressure area. In this case, an airfield whose elevation was below sea level. Correct? But to rule that out, the answer would be the plane never sees the atmospheric conditions below sea level because it goes from above sea level in the air to quite literally below the sea where, the, where it's, it is higher pressure. The bomb never sees below sea level atmospheric conditions because it never reaches them. The water line is a sea level, so the air above – I'm sorry, the air above it is above, below. They're the highest – higher pressure water setting. I think that's what's going on for – even though he had some science behind atmospheric pressure versus elevation wrong. That just better my head. <laughs> More likely, Haney just didn't care. <laughs> he just found there does seem to be a lot of Haney not giving. He crap. knew he knew a little bit. He knew enough to make it. And you know what? That's the important thing. That's you know it's funny. We we don't talk about movies that much here on the show, but like uh, the like I saw Gravity, 
And did you see that, Jack? I read some of the comic book. Okay. Uh, anyway, the, the the science and gravity is apparently, you know, they sell it as being very accurate. And then there have been some scientists saying, well, no, it's not accurate. Da, da, da. But the science and gravity is just real sounding enough that it keeps you in the movie. And that's, yeah. that's what it's supposed to do. And I think that's what Haney was doing. He was putting just enough science in there that you read it and you went, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then you just kept going. You didn't get bogged down with the details <laughs> of it. And I think that's what... Pretty much all fiction is supposed to do. You put enough verisimilitude in there so it, it sounds plausible and it keeps you wrapped up in the plot. But other than that, I mean, if you're really going for accurate things, you know, watch a documentary. Don't, don't, please, if you're trying to learn about science, don't read a Bob Haiti comic book. For the love of God. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, let's see here. You can just interrupt anytime you want, by the way. I'm just going to keep going because there's a lot of great stuff in here. When we covered Firestorm Classic number four in Aquaman 24, he corrected us. I mentioned on the Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live references at the end of the issue were a little odd. Uh, um, he, he, I think he agreed they were strange, but he says they're not Saturday Night Live references. They're actually references to Steve Martin's great stand-up albums, Let's Get Small and Wild and Crazy Guy. Let's get his. By the way, Steve Martin's Let's Get Small skit, his bit, is Freaking hilarious. Well, oh, the, my God. The, That's so funny. The wild and crazy guys were the Festrunk brothers from Saturday Night Live. Well, it sounds like it probably started as a Steve Martin album. I mean, if I'm to take Kyle Benning at his word, and I'm okay, going to. maybe so. Okay. He knows quite a bit about Steve Martin. He goes on about him quite a bit here. Um, and anyway, guy plays banjo now. That's pretty, pretty cool. I actually knew that because my stepson plays banjo, so it's very interesting. Anyway. Uh, we talk about Firestorm. He says, I agree with both of you. This is an awesome issue of Firestorm, one of my favorite from the series, right up there with the upcoming Hyena Saga. There's so many great issues in the first 50 issues of the series, it's hard to pick out just one. Now, this is where we're talking about Aquaman. Rob, it sounds like you're starting to get frustrated with some of the aspects of Aquaman and the unnecessary changes being made. I hear you, man. That's how I feel about pretty much all the new 52 Superman changes. You're stuck with a quandary where he's made Aquaman great at times, but still missing the mark at other points. It kind of reminds me of Grunwald's run on Captain America. Up and down, nailing some aspects but missing others. It's frustrating as a reader and a fan to be excited about a run that is at times great and other times meh. You feel like you should be appreciative of the spotlight the character is hitting, but at the same time, you're shelling out $3 a month for a book that should be good and at times great, not either great or meh, depending on issue or arc. For other titles, we're often wondering if this is due to editorial interfering, yet with Johns, you assume he probably doesn't have to battle editors like other writers. That's no, not years entirely ago. true. Interesting. Uh, I'm interested to see what Parker will uh, what Parker will take to the character, and hope it's given creative freedom to really bring his vision to the character uninterrupted. Me too. Jeff Johns has to deal with editorial interference. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, he does. Who knew? He does. All right. I'm going to go into Bradley Null, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, over on Facebook, he put a thing on his own wall. He said, I've mentioned the Fire and Water podcast before. One of its hosts, Shag Matthews, has been, re has been talking about finding your comic book bliss. Uh, which means if your hobby is going to be comics, find the titles and the time period you like and read those. I think I may expand this to all geek hobbies. Don't like your Game Master? Find one you like. Don't like the Ninth Doctor? Watch the Fourth. Not happy with the Ren Fair you volunteer for? Find another. Being loyal to something only brings joy. It's not. Um, wait. If being loyal to something only brings joy and is not um, bringing you joy, then why are you loyal to it? It's a fair statement. That's how I'm feeling about Star Trek right now, brother. I hear you. Preach it. Siskoid wants a uh, Fire and Water music album also, and uh, he complimented Robert Gross's Martin Stein song, said it was a winner, and, and uh, here you go. When we, on the Brave and the Bold episode, he said, are you, going, are you guys going to do a similar episode about DC Comics Presents sometime? Superman teamed up with both heroes, after all. We're working on it. We're working on it. 
That is actually in development. Yep. We've been talking about it for a little while. We've got a plan to cover it. And I think it's going to be good. So take that. <laughs> Why is your voice so high? What's going on? I don't know. Uh, Cisco also says we talked about being a geek in public. He says, I represent at work. In fact, I serve as chief advisor to anyone who wants to get into comic, genre, TV, etc. No shame in it and a lot of pride. Now, to be fair, I happen to know for a fact Cisco works in a pretty cool place. So, hmm. Well, he lives in Canada. Isn't everybody nice to each other up there in Canada? <laughs> I think he wrote a, like a dissertation about that for you <laughs> somewhere in this feedback. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Martin Steiner's Turns, our buddy Robert Gross said, great episode, guys. It goes to show that this podcast and the group that follows it is under uh, understand how to have fun with comics. They certainly do. They certainly do. I, I heard from our buddy Ange about Brave and the Bold. He said, as a huge fan of these team-up books, and especially Brave and the Bold and DC Comics Presents, I really enjoy this episode. For me, in the pre-Who's Who's days, this is how I really learned about the dustier corners of the DC Universe. In particular, I love the weirder team-ups. I met so many characters in Brave and Bold. The Creeper, Metamorpho, Phantom Stranger, Wildcat. So, good stuff here. So as, for the fire, as for the Firestorm issue, I never read that one, but I understand the feelings about Infantino's art. At times, I felt like he was mailing it in on the Supergirl book. And then uh, he talks about how he covered a couple of the Supergirl appearances in Brave and the Bold. Uh, you can find that over at comicboxcommentary.blogspot.com. He runs this Supergirl blog. It's good stuff. He also says, I was also a Marvel team-up guy, Shag. and read a bunch of the issues by Claremont and drawn by Byrne. Hey, that makes me so happy to find another Marvel team-up guy. I, I'm telling you, I love Marvel team-up. I can't get enough of the redunculousness in those issues. It's just crazy. Um, I, I want to read more stories about Basilisk. And he says, I do hope a DC Comics Presents episode happens and includes DC Comics Presents number 17, Firestorm's first reappearance after his solo title had been canceled. Hmm. Another, another vote for DC Comics Presents. Hmm. All right. Uh, got an email from Jack Dower. Somehow he slipped it through the bars of the, uh, at the asylum. And uh, very nice, very complimentary. He talks a bit about Doctor Who. But then he goes in and asks this question, Rob. What would be your five dream team-ups, and who would they face off against? Good Lord. <laughs> I, I can't do five. That's a I bit can't, Yeah, I can't do five. I, well, I can't do who they want to face off against, I, you know? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of who did never appeared in Brave and the Bold that I wish did. Uh, I would have loved to have seen, and this is crazy, I really would have loved to have seen Batman and Sugar and Spike somehow. <laughs> Did you say Pac-Man? No, Sugar and Spike. Batman and Sugar and Spike. Oh, Batman. Okay, yeah. I thought you said Pac-Man no. and Sugar and Spike. Batman, <laughs> no, Batman and Sugar and Spike. Uh, that would have been a ride. They did yeah. that on the cartoon series. Oh, um, great. They did do it. Um, who else? I don't know. You know, it's like Batman really did, you know, like they, they worked everybody in. I don't know if they ever did the Doom Patrol, Batman and the Doom Patrol. Uh, mm. I would have enjoyed that. And it's a shame that, and this is probably a little far afield of what, you're asking, Jack. But for one brief month in the mid-1970s, D.C. had the rights to reprint some Dick Tracy stories, which they did in a, um, a Treasury edition. I would have loved it if the way they worked the shadow into Batman, if they had done Batman and Dick Tracy. I, oh, wow. I would have read that comic till the staples fell out. I, I just would have been – I thought that would have been like an, you know the Earth 2 Batman – and Dick Tracy said in the 1940s, oh, would have been the greatest comic book ever. Like Joker and Flat Top team up. Oh, I, I, it makes me want to makes me want to be a millionaire and hire Joe Staten to draw my story, which I'm writing in my head right now. Um, I would pay to see a good Firestorm and Blue Devil team up. 
I specify good because they did actually team up for three comics and it was not good. So I would love to see a good quality, you know, 1980s Firestorm and Blue Devil team up. There's an obvious team up that you missed there, buddy. Now, I know you were focusing on the format of DC Comics Presents and Blurry and the Bull, but a Firestorm and Aquaman team up would have been pretty sweet. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. every time kicking we saw the cra- together, kicking, yeah. Teaming up and kicking the crap out of the Penguin, how's that? <laughs> Aw, poor Jack. I'm just kidding, Jack. No one can beat the Penguin. In fact, he wrote... My first and most tragic meeting with the comic book version of the Dapper Duke of Disaster are both found in Brave and the Bold. I really missed that comic title and the TV show. They were both outrageous. Heard from Sphinx Magoo. It's just fun, fun to say, isn't it? Love that name. It's so much fun. Uh, another fine and fun episode. Too bad there isn't another Brave and the Bold team up with Batman and Firestorm because another episode like this would be great. Maybe an episode of, or two discussing DC Comics Presents issues. Hmm. <laughs> you really have to stop trying to act like you're trying to be cagey. You know. <laughs> As for Brave and the Bold, it was my gateway drug to the rest of the DC Universe when I was a wee lad. I remember getting the Batman Demon team up in issue 109 and getting to meet Etrigan for the first time. It was drawn by Jim Aparo. It was a pretty awesome experience, let me tell you. Through Brave and the Bold, I got to meet characters diverse as Wildcat, Green Arrow, Commandy, Mr. Miracle, Sergeant Rock, and the Metal Mun. Those done in one stories were pretty cool. Thanks again. Very cool. I, I need to go and read more of these uh, Brave and the Bolds. Again, because it's, it's not that different from my love of uh, Marvel Comics Presents. So no, now I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah I loved it. Brave and the Bold was always like my second or third tier purchase. You know, it was like always Justice League. And then if Aquaman was in a solo book. But then Brave and the Bold was like the next purchase, Dan. I always got that book. Uh, we got comments from Tim Wallace briefly. He says, yay, Frank added me and all it took was selling my Blue Beetle booty. I think he's talking about on Twitter. I think so. Uh <laughs> He also left a comment about the Brave and the Bold episode. He says, Keaton is by far my favorite Batman. Kilmer was just there. I agree with that. I thought Clooney could have been decent in a role with a better director, script, better everything. Uh, No, I liked Clooney just fine. The rest of the movie random is the friggin' nightmare. Uh, But he says, I know it's not popular, but I didn't like Bale. Interesting. Affleck, I'm holding back on being judgmental. I'm just going to wait and see and hope for the best. With Brave and the Bold and DC Comics Presents, when I started collecting and even now, I tended to pick them up based on the co-star. If it was Aquaman, Green Hour, Hawkman, instant buys. Then if it was something a little out of the norm, like Swamp Thing, House of Mystery, He-Man, Santa Claus, Sergeant Rock, those got scooped up next. Still disappointed the Blue Beetle didn't make it in there. Uh, I now have both showcase volumes of DC Presents, but looks, I'll be ordering the Brave and the Bold showcase books from Minstock Trades. So once again, I listen to the FW Podcast and make a purchase. Are you guys hiding some little messages in there or something? I don't, I don't think so. Buy stuff. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we're doing anything like that. Heard from Count Druncula, our buddy Ryan Daly, who runs the Fishnets and Flowers um, Black Canary blog. He says, my comic book comfort food begins with Marvel's G.I. Joe from the 1980s and early 90s. The first comics I ever read were from this series, and I love that IDW's recollecting them in oversized hardcover format. The first 115 issues, almost all written by Larry Hama, are terrific. Okay, I don't think that sentence has ever been uttered about anything. 115 issues that are phenomenal. That's great. Wow. <laughs> it's a quite um, run. But, it, but issues 10 through 50 are my favorite running comics, and I have to go back and read those. I'm sorry. And I go back. I can go back and read those anytime. Other comforts that always return to are Marvel's Werewolf by Night, the Fantastic Four run uh, written by Mark Wade, and Vertigo Sandman Mystery Theater. So uh, good stuff. Oh, those are all good stuff, man. And this kicked off a tremendous discussion about G.I. Joe, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention that, that Ryan mentions early on. He says, uh, 
Uh, I cannot understand why comic books aren't available in Walmart. They used to mm. be. That's where I got some of my biggest, earliest comics when I was growing up. Walmart's the biggest retail monster in the world. The diamond wouldn't ship to them seems asinine to me. I also don't know why Marvel doesn't ship comics book to movie theaters every summer. The thing with the Walmart, I talked to um, Kupferberg, Paul Kupferberg, about this because I was saying, I've said many times, like, Archie sells comics, like, in supermarkets. If you go to the checkout line, you see the little Archie Digest. And why doesn't DC Marvel do that? Well, the, Paul explained to me that part of the reason that that doesn't happen is basically Archie has just claimed that turf and they're not giving it up. In that um, the to start over again and getting your getting comics back into those areas would be a monstrous investment of money and time. And DC and Marvel just don't feel like it's really worth it. Archie has been able to make it worth it because they never left. So they are they sort of have like a sweetheart deal in there, but DC and Marvel would be starting over from scratch, and that's apparently why you don't see those comics there because they just look at it and say the startup costs would just be so monstrous and it would take so long to catch on that they don't want to bother, which is a real shame. Yeah. That's a real real shame because that's you know comics used to be a lot more available than they are now. I could see why you wouldn't want to make the effort to invest in a distribution channel that might actually turn the industry around and save the future comics. Yeah, I get uh, it. You know. <laughs> he, he wasn't agreeing with that assessment. He was simply saying that's what the assessment was. Now, with that said, I totally get the business side of it. I mean, yeah. you only have so much capital to put in places. Right, so I, I right. get that. But I just uh, – something's got to change yep. in distribution. Yep. I realize digital's a, a really good first step. I mean, Comixology's probably done more for comics than, than anything in a long time. But um, you got, you got to get these things in kids' hands. Mm-hmm. He continues, hearing Rob's epitaph for Bob Haney brought a huge smile to my face, because I completely agree with it. I read The Legends of the Dark Knight Jim Aparo Volume 1 hardcover, which collects a whole lot of Brave and the Bold issues from this era. And while I love Aparo's art, there's quite a few scenes in the, in the bunch that were laughably bad, and it was clear that Haney just did not give a flying fish about what happened in the previous pages, let alone previous issues. Yeah. <laughs> I think Bob tended to write himself into a corner. You know, how do I get out of this? Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, heard from Patrick Moe, hadn't heard from him in a little while. It says, it's great to see how much interest your podcasts have generated. I was there from the beginning, even using some of my 15 minutes of fame by being mentioned. And your podcast is a big reason I got back into comics. And he asked us a couple of quick questions here. To Shag, do you feel that history will smile more kindly on any issues or arcs from the New 52 initial Firestorm run? I'm on the record as liking almost all the issues and writers that were on the short time. The last run would have been probably been my, the most fun. He's talking about the Jane Jurgens run, which uh, so much was forced at the end to get the uh, sort of a conclusion. Um, to answer your question, Pat, I would say, yes, I think history will smile on the last run of Firestorm a bit, the, the Dan Jurgens piece. It's a shame. I don't think they'll probably smile on the first part with the the Firestorm protocols and stuff. I, I I've said I've been all over the board on those Firestorm protocol issues on my feelings on it, but in the end, they tried to do something different, and you really need they need to be appreciated for that. It's mm-hmm. like the ele- elemental run. The elemental run is not smiled upon favorably, but they did something different, and it was you know the elemental run deserves to be smiled upon favorably. It's really good, and I feel like you know what the efforts of uh, Gail Simone and uh, um, Gilderay Sinar and Ethan Van Skyver should be smiled upon as well. They they try to do something different with the character. So. Gilderay Sinar especially. Oh, he's great. Yeah, really a star. Uh, next question is for Rob. Well, it sounds like you appreciated some of John's work with Aquaman. You you didn't really get the stories you wanted out of your favorite character. What would you like to see from Aquaman in the near or distant future? And is there anything that could make you stop following the character short of um, 
mirror forbid a cancellation? Uh, starting backwards, no, there won't be. There would never be anything. Even if I, even if the Aquaman comic took a turn to where I just hated it, I'd still buy it every month because you know I'm not. <laughs> it's an Aquaman comic. I'm not going to buy it. Um, in terms of what I didn't get, I just would like to see Aquaman and Mira going on adventures. That's it. That is it. And and instead of it just being like we got it briefly. And then they were separated or been the, you know, I mean, as much as I like the others, it would, then it became about the others. Like, I would just like a couple of years of Aquaman and Mirror going out having adventures. That's it. It's kind of like if you, like, um, somebody analyzed this. Like, if you look back on uh, The Dark Knight Rises, right, and somebody figured out that that movie opens. You've seen Dark Knight Rises, I assume, Shay? Yeah. Okay. Right, that movie opens with him being in retirement for seven years. So somebody tracked it and they said, that means Batman as Batman, but Bruce Wayne as Batman running around Gotham City, his career lasted about a year and a half. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they – like in these stories, they're always like they, – you don't – I mean part of the reason that these characters, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, became these iconic th- things is because you had – 20 to 30 to 40 years of stories one after the other month after month for for decades and that and nowadays we don't get that you know what i mean it's like the minute we introduce a concept they blow it up like six months in and i just think it's partly because people's patience are thin but i just so in terms of what i would love to see jeff parker do i would love to just reunite aqua and amira go off have adventures of superheroes and just do that for a couple of years Maybe fans won't stick around for that. Maybe that there needs to be more constant change. But in terms of what I would like to see, I would just like to see those two guys doing stuff together, being in love, having fun, kicking super super villain butt, and uh, you know feeding the dog. That's what I want. So that's what I would love to see. Apparently, had quite a bit to say there. <laughs> uh, we heard from uh, Ryan Withers, our buddy from Melbourne. He said, totally on board with Shag's idea about the Trench being the Ice King's foot soldiers. Especially when you remember that back when Black Mana finds the seventh relic on the island that had the first king's throne, when he reveals the scepter, the throne changes and reveals big trench sculptures around the throne. I had forgotten about that. Also, he said, apparently he's fascinated by the Trench. Because uh, he says, so, this is another email another time. So I was watching some 60s Aquaman cartoons and realized that the story of the rampaging reptile men... I assume you remember that one. I don't. It is pretty much the trench. They're both from under the Earth's crust, both dangerous, and in both times, Aquaman chucks some rocks into a hole they came yeah, from. Yeah, I covered that them. on the shrine once. I was like, oh, the trench. <laughs> okay. He said, just thought I'd share. There you go. Uh, Professor Allen just got on my shit list. Uh, he wrote in on Facebook and said, uh, about the episode of Michael Bailey, he said, I miss old what's-his-name. <laughs> uh, but, but that was a good episode anyway. <laughs> uh, he mentioned just last week I bought an old copy of Micronauts with me when I bought to the Woo-hoo! when I with, uh, when I went to Steak and Shake for lunch. Mm, steak and Shake. Old books are best for reading in public because they take longer to read. Anyway, the waitress chatted with me about what I was reading and told me she preferred DC to Marvel, but was glad to see me reading a comic in the restaurant. I'd say times have changed, Professor Allen. <laughs> nice host of the Quarterbin podcast and co uh, co shot of Shortbox 
showcase. So that's great. I'd love that you read Micronauts. Hell to the yeah. It's so good. <laughs> so I uh, heard from my buddy Lucien Dessar. He asked if uh, the Fury of Firestorm, the stories that we're, cl- we're covering right now, have ever been collected. And unfortunately, and, I, and I've already communicated this to Lucien, but uh, unfortunately they haven't, folks. If you're looking for the Firestorm issues and you want to follow along what we're doing in the Firewater podcast, your best bet is to search your local comic book shops or get them online. You can get them. These things are cheap, yep. folks. They're, they're not expensive. And they're going to be great, a great investment for you. You're not going to be sorry. They're fun stories. Um, go find them. Look, you know, I, personally, I always mention this company, Mile High Comics, is great for looking for back issues. I'm not. They're not a sponsor or anything, but they're. I, I've been impressed with their service several times. So, um, heard from. I can never get this right. She really needs to write in and tell it. I think it's Suji Tunes. Suji Tunes. Yeah. Okay. I, I can go with that. Silent. She's one of our big supporters over on Tumblr and says, All-Star Squadron Madness, as discussed by Mike Bailey, or Mike Superman Bailey and Rob Aquaman Kelly. Big smiley face, you make my heart sing. That's so sweet. Thank you, Suji Tunes. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Benton Gray uh, wrote a uh, a thesis for us, which is great. Uh, He's one of our – he's a really, really great writer, as he should be. He's uh, wait. Am I getting my people mixed up? He's a he's a lit professor, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, exceptional writer. So I'm just going to pick out a couple of things. He said uh, he, he agrees with us about how the big two need to get their books where people can see them, especially kids. He said as long as Marvel and DC continue to pitch their product to an ever dwindling market of aging fans, they're inevitably doomed to a slow strangling death. You can't build a growing business on a shrinking pool of customers. The only way they can restore superhero comics to a viable business is to bring in new readers, and the only real way to do that is to hook kids. Brother, you know what you're talking about, I'm saying. Uh, He said the powers that be um, should put the books where they are. Toys R Us, Walmart, Target, and any of these places are perfectly suited for spinner rack model distribution. I assure Rob's frustrated amazement at the lack of concerted effort on the part of the big two to reach that market. Uh, Make a good point. Now, I saw comic books in Toys R Us yesterday. Yeah, they do they to- do have them there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was in Toys R Us. I don't I don't go to Toys R Us anymore, except around Christmas time nowadays because otherwise I just wouldn't have a paycheck anymore. <laughs> and uh, I was there and my daughter immediately gravitated to like the teeny bopper magazines or whatever. And right above it was like Batman and Green Lantern and Superman. I'm like, oh my gosh <laughs> So that was exciting for me. Uh, let's see. He said, I enjoyed hearing from y'all and your other listeners about reading comics in public. For my own part, I often read them on my wife's iPad, which, while it's not quite as obvious as a regular comic, it's a lot easier and portable. When my students occasionally find me reading old issues of Aquaman, Justice League, or Brave and the Bold around campus, their reactions are always interesting. I like challenging their assumptions about the way the world works, both in, excuse me, both in class and out. So it's entertaining seeing them struggle with the fact that they're uh, occasionally articulate, well-read, lit professor reads superhero comics. I like to think that my comfort uh, inside my own skin helps them re- realize that they can enjoy the things they truly enjoy without worrying about what people think. Uh, I think the thing to take away from that, folks, is apparently he doesn't read Firestorm. Hmm. <laughs> he said, "I would certainly welcome back Sub Diego. That was one of the that was one of the really in- innovative ideas in modern comics, and suddenly abandoned was a as it's, it's sudden abandonment was a real tragedy in a run marked by missed opportunities and almost unprecedented amounts of potential. Yep. That, that Sub Diego, what's that? I said yep, yep. Yeah, it really was. That Sub Diego run is still probably my second favorite Aquaman run, despite its flaws. 
uh, and that is large part thanks to the brilliant device of our, our favorite hero being thrust into such a unique situation, having to deal with a newly sunken Neo-Atlantis. Second, that inexplicable cancellation of the uh, SAG run. SAG is, uh, what, Steven Skeets, Dick Giordano, and who? Jim Aparo. Jim Aparo, of course. That's right, of course. Skeets, Aparo, Giordano. Uh, the pseudo-cancellation of that book and the sudden squidification of its protagonist is one of the greatest calamities in Aquaman's publication history. Um, yes, on all accounts. I do want to give props, though, to Kurt Busiek's first part of Sword of Atlantis. I mean, when he was charged to do something different, uh, I think the first part of the Sword of Atlantis uh, saga was pretty good. Um, yeah. At least that's, the, parts that's, Kurt Busiek, the parts Kurt Busiek wrote, I thought were very that's good. That's a lot better book in retrospect than, than I thought it was at the time. I will admit that. Same here. Exactly the same here. I was so upset with it at the time, yeah. but now uh, I've re- I reread, again, the Busick issues. I'm not a fan of the issues after that, but uh, um, they're, they're really good. Heard from Darren and Ruth. Uh, just shout-outs uh, shout to fellow Doctor Who fans. Also liked your Somerset Holmes recommendation. He said, uh, let's see. So he, I, he, he contacted us and said, so have you heard of the couple of Aquaman references during the new fall TV season? On the second episode of The Big Bang Theory, Sheldon visits a local comic shop to buy a nautical-themed gift for Leonard. When Stewart suggests a fantastic-looking Aquaman statue, Sheldon replies, this isn't a gag gift. Ugh. Mm. On the second episode of the Michael J. Fox show, titled, entitled Neighbor, Michael wished his medications caused cool side effects. When his wife asked what do we consider cool side effect, he replied, anything that Aquaman can do. A few minutes later, after multiple interruptions, to the attempt at romantic evening, Michael amuses. I bet this never happens to Aquaman. So, so much better treatment for our hero for Michael J. Fox than the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, that sort of goes to my philosophy on the Big Bang Theory in general. <laughs> Big Bang Theory's job is to mock us and other things celebrate us. So I, there you go. Yeah, I think I think Big Bang. Well, I think Big Bang Theory has like does like two steps up, one step back kind of thing. Uh, in terms of the Michael J. Fox bit, uh, once again, I hate to bring it up again, but I saw that clip at my job. And uh, I was uh, watch, and, and frequently what happens is I'm working on something else while I'm listening to the clip, and I heard the I heard that bit. I was like, huh? you know, <laughs> like not expecting the word Aquaman to come out of anybody's mouth when I'm watching that material. I was like, and it kind of made me want to give the show a, a chance, you know, other than Michael J. Fox being in it. I was like, well, they just made an Aquaman reference. Like, how cool is that? I've seen a few. I've seen a few episodes of the show. Um, I didn't know what to expect going in, but I've kind of enjoyed them. So he also, um, still talking about, uh, Darren and Ruth, Darren also sent us this long letter he sent to Warner brothers animation, basically saying he's had enough of Aquaman being <laughs> sidelined and it's a really good letter. Um, so I, I hope, you know, he didn't have any hopes that it would really go anywhere, but I thought it was very well constructed and, and, uh, you made a lot of forceful points. So nice mm-hmm. job. Yeah. Heard from my buddy, Ben Avery. He's from the welcome to level seven podcast, which is a agents of shield show, uh, podcast. Uh, he said, I'm a, he says, I'm a far bigger Aquaman fan than a Firestorm fan. Love the shrine, but Shag, here's a little bit of awesome you put in my life. When I started listening to Fire and Water, you got me interested in the classic Firestorm comics. I was intrigued by the character as a kid because of the single Flash comic that I had sporting the middle chapter of a Firestorm story. I had no idea what was going on, and it ended in a cliffhanger, so I had no idea how it ended. Behind it was super creepy, and Firestorm was super cool. Flash forward to your podcast. Uh, because of your talk about Firestorm in certain details, like it being a DC book with a Marvel style, I tracked down and pieced together the entire run of Firestorm, from Nuclear Man to the Elemental stuff. I started reading, and then got the comics, and the comics got buried under some other boxes, and I haven't had a chance to pull them out. But now, you've not only given me the motivation to pull them out, you've given me a structure. So know this, at least one listener has purchased a ton of Firestorm comics, enjoyed what he's read so far, and is now reading them along with you, and experiencing them for the first time, month by month. 
This is exciting to me, so I just want to let you know. Uh, fan the classic flame and ride the new wave. Very cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Heard from Dale Russell. Uh, by the way, he gives a he gives a thumbs up for the Peter David Aquaman. He would love to see a review of that run. We'll get to that, I promise. Over on Google Plus, he says, let's see, um, this is a bit of an origin story for him. He talks about buying comics at a drugstore after church every Sunday. I could buy three comics and sometimes begging would get me a fourth. Then I would read them until my friends could go out and play. When we weren't playing baseball or football, we would have long discussions about which superhero was the strongest or fastest or just plain coolest. We could use the reference material rolled up in our back pockets to support our positions. We would read the good parts and agree that we should play superheroes. But then the streetlights would come on and the parents would start calling us from the front door. We'd break it up with an unspoken agreement that we would do it again next week. That's great. I love that. You know what I managed to call when I managed a comic book shop, I used to have this little kid who would come in. His name was James. He'd come in almost every day. And he would sit there and quiz me. Who would win in a fight? He'd be like, who would win in a fight, Mr. Shag? Would it be the Hulk or Silver Surfer? And he would do this all his own. And it, every single time it was a setup. Because he had, had, I don't know, like a copy of Marvel Universe in his hands or something that had specific benchmarks. You know, and I'd say, I don't know. It depends whose book it is. You know, I'd give whatever answer. And he'd always find a reason to pro- try and prove me wrong. It was adorable. I love kids when they're in that mode. It's just so cute. So <laughs> Now, he pointed out, uh, again, this is Dale Russell, that apparently I, when we talked about DC's output and stuff like that, I didn't know there's a new DC show in the works about Our Man. Did yeah, you? I, yeah, I did. I forgot about that. So, uh, Oscar Olele Lady said, uh, I demand a f- free ringtone of 3D covers rubbing against each other for all <laughs> plus digital buyers. <laughs> I love his little... Like little one-liners. This is a great one. He's talking about Aquaman number 24 and how Volca was watching her Aquaman. says, mind you, staring at Aquabro for six months, uh, how he's not wearing any type of adult diapers or sporting long beard hair. You know Volca, super stalker to the stars, copyright shag, secretly had the best six months of his life and inherently now knows Arthur better than Mara herself. Hashtag restraining order. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he cracks me up. Jose Rivera sent us a picture of our Jose Rivera, sorry, sent us a picture he took of his Lego Firestorm and Lego Aquaman. Oh, made me so jealous. Love it. <laughs> uh, Gene Hendricks left a comment on Firestorm fan about Brave and the Bold, the uh, Brave and Bold episode. He said, Woohoo, I've just joined the Elite Steam Award winners. Thanks, guys. Oh, and just for the record, I am not a watchmaker, but I am, in fact, insane. I have, to, I have to be to be making miniatures like that. Believe it or not, this is my first time I've ever done any miniatures or models successfully. But, and this is part of my insanity, I got the idea in my head and just couldn't leave it alone. I'm glad you like them. By the way, Shag, I have had the same WTF reaction with the Batman casting. But it's not part of my comic book joy, TM, so I don't really care. As to the bomb question, I was just thinking that the bomb would arm itself at flight level pressure, low, and then blow when the pressure increased to sea level, otherwise it would have been blown up on takeoff. However, it still doesn't work out being underwater since the pressure switch would have had to pass the ignition point on the way down. However, it was accomplished. But that's a small thing to have an excuse to see the golden double dolphin. That is true. You can't get it <laughs> And he goes on about uh, talking about Carmen Infantino, and he starts bashing on the way he draws uh, girls in Star Wars. And we're gonna have words, Gene. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> you don't touch Carmen Infantino's drawing of Princess Leia. Oof, she's hot. All right, uh, Corey Hodgson said, "Shag, if you're looking for some Bob Haney stories with great Jim Aparo art, including the Aquaman story featured on the podcast, you can check out the Legends of the Dark Knight Jim Aparo. I'm sure you could get it from in stock trades. Nice. 
Church. J. David Weeder said, I have to confess conflicting emotions. On one hand, he's talking about when we did our Red Tornado episode with Doug uh, Zawiza. He said, on one hand, Red Tornado got some podcast love and from fans with a pedigree. On the other, the one person on the planet with a Red Tornado tattoo wasn't invited, and that's me. However, any sadness I felt melted away when I heard that episode because it was a great time for Red Tornado and for the JLA. There was lots of love for both, which elevated this particular episode even higher. Red Tornado is a very nuanced character and can be extremely compelling in the right hands, in addition to being visually awesome when drawn without clown pants. And yeah, I agree with Shag. Everyone note that. He agrees with me. Four pages of exposition is way too much. Uh, heard from William Estep, and he says, Shag, you seem to have an affinity for the character of Robin. I was wondering, what's your take uh, on the fan-made movie trailer called Grayson by Untamed Cinema? Personally, I think it would work in the creator's written screenplay. Dude, that Grayson trailer, I actually figured out a way to download it, and I watch it every so often. It blows me away. I don't think I'd want to watch a full movie of it because the trailer's just that brilliant uh there's just too many scenes to make the story really make sense uh but man that trailer's amazing have you ever seen this thing rob i don't think so oh it's a fan-made trailer google grayson the story is batman's dead okay and now dick grayson is having to step back into the world of superheroes and his wife is barbara gordon and the joker's back and superman's it it's so good it's so 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 good have you heard the rumor that nightwing is going to get worked into the movie which one? Superman and Batman. Huh. No, I hadn't heard that. Uh, uh, maybe it's uh, Matt Damon. So, uh, let's see what else. Um, on the, I, I got to mention this. This is a little personal thing. Pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, I posted a picture of, from Super Team Family. That awesome site it was Atari Force and the Micronauts teaming up. And he wrote, I've taken a lot of ribbing for collecting Atari Force. I really liked it, but my circle of friends and family looked at it and turned up their nose. I will proudly say that I liked it. I'll also state that I was a Barry Manilow fan, so consider the source. Now, Here's where a little bit of the truth comes out. Um, I'm not really necessarily a fan of Barry Manilow. I don't hate him, though. But my wife adores Barry Manilow. Like, crazy. Like, you love Bob Dylan. She loves Barry Manilow. Okay. I have sacrificed and taken her to see Barry Manilow in concert twice now. Again, while I'm not a huge fan of the man, I will say he does put on a hell of a show. Good husband. And here's where I actually become a really good husband is I just got her for her birthday, which uh, she won't be able to take advantage of until January, but... We're going to see Barry Manilow, and we have front row tickets, front wow. center, front center seats. Woo. So, so please was, buy books on in stock trades. That's what. Dear Lord, please buy books on in stock trades. Those things were not cheap. <laughs> so, uh, heard from Ken Homel or Hummel? How would you how would you say that? Uh, Hummel. Uh, loved your show on JLA 192 and 193. This is still talking about Red Tornado. I think that that whole crazy tornado tyrant scenario was first speculated in the JLA casebook in Amazing World of DC Comics number 14. I love that you magazine. Know, I've never seen it. I'm going to have to find it. you never seen some. it? No. I mean, I'm aware of its existence, but I've never held one. Yeah. I, I, I hate to say this because everybody's going to make fun of me, but I do have a blog called, I think it's called, I have to go dig it up, but it's called The Amazing Blog of DC Comics, where I simply scanned every page from every issue of the magazine at high res, so you can read the whole magazine. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm completely and utterly serious. Is it still on the web? Uh, yeah, I'll try and find it. Yeah. See, for those of you who, who haven't been following Rob Kelly for a long time, you don't know. The man had a sickness for years, where like, every 15 minutes he'd be like, you know what? That piece of gum that I just finished chewing needs to blog. <laughs> He, he, the man created out a new blog like every 15 minutes. It was nuts. I will, have, oh, I will not have you make fun of my bubblicious blog, damn you. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. 
heard from Justin Barlow, uh, a guy who runs uh, the guy. I hope, hope I'm getting this right. I think he runs the Blue Devil blog. Yeah, he does. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, if I'm wrong, I'd be embarrassed. Anyway, uh, he says, Shag, that reaction to the Ben Affleck casting might have been the best thing I've heard in a while. I had to pause the podcast because I was laughing so hard. Um, I'm, I am a little embarrassed by how much I went off the rails about Ben Affleck getting cast as Batman. Because for those of you who didn't hear it, uh, Rob revealed it to me on the show. And everyone has a bit of a knee-jerk reaction sometimes. I had a really big knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> to be fair, I'm going to give the guy a chance, but at that moment was not the time for me to hear that. Anyway, uh, great episode, guys. Now that I've heard about these issues from you talking about Brave and the Bold, I want to pick up the Aquaman issue uh, if I ever see it. Heard from Corbin Poole. He said, hey, guys, been listening to your podcast the last few months. I was hoping you could point me to the nearest good jumping on point for the current run on Aquaman. Or if you think I should just wait until Jeff Barker takes over in December. Thanks. Oh, I, I, Rob, mean, I, think, I think you and I probably have different opinions, but go ahead. Well, I, I, I think if you, you can just get started on the, the, the trade paperbacks with Jeff Johns. I would say start with book one. I, I think that's oh. a good place to start. We absolutely have the exact same answer. Yeah. Never mind. By the way, uh, Corbin Poole, I'm pretty sure that's a James Bond villain. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, Keith Samra, uh, heard from him. He said, uh, I like the casting choice of Affleck for Batman. I think he'll do a good job. Now, to be fair, Keith Samra is one of the most upbeat Superman fans I've ever met. Uh, so, you know, he's drank the Kool-Aid on this one. But, uh, you know, if you really want to find a Superman fan who's really excited about being a Superman fan, he's your man. He's great. So, uh, heard from Earth 2 Chris. Yes, uh, our podcast, our Power Records podcast uh, co-host, Earth 2 Chris. Um, he's, he, had a, he had a picture of himself uh, with all the various superheroes on one T-shirt. And he says, I've had this t- all the DC heroes, of course. I've had this T-shirt for about a year now. I think I'd actually bought it at Sears where I rarely shop. For some reason, it never occurred to me that the Steam team were stacked foot on top of one another. Once this bolt from blue finally hit me, I had to pass along a picture. Not only do you get Robin Shag's dream team, you get artwork by both Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. You didn't do it, Shag. Oh, I'm sorry. I was. Well, I have. Ah, oh, man. Okay. Pay praise, attention. Praise be his name. Yes, yes. I, I was distracted. Okay, yes. <laughs> Jerry Rion, Beyond Reproach, Ordway. Plus, uh, how many shirts have Dr. Fate, Firestorm, Black Canary, Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel, and Lois Lane? Another cool note on the shirt, when I wore it to Lexington, Kentucky Comic Con back in March, I met Jackson Bostwick. He looked it up and down until he found Captain Marvel and was happy to see the junior in Mary Marvel debut. Very nice geek out moment. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that yeah, show. I've seen, I've seen this shirt in stores a few times, yeah. and I've almost bought it. And it's funny, like, you know, as geeks, we do the dumbest things. You know, we really do. There's something on the shirt that made me not buy it, and that's Harlequin. Wow. Because... I know, isn't this stupid? But, like, it's all these 70s, you know, characters, right? And most of it's 70s stock art. But then there's Harlequin, looking very 1990s, 2000s. Interesting. And it's like, that, I couldn't unsee that. <laughs> now, I did, I did not notice that Firestorm and Aquaman are stacked up. And now, what I want to know is, how did Aquaman rate being flanked on each side by a freaking hot Batgirl and freaking hot Catwoman? Whereas Firestorm got flashing green arrow. What's up with a sauce? Fest on my row. Come on. Love, ladies love Aquaman. It's true. Now, I do have um, Shira Hall, Hawk Girl, right underneath me. I'm just saying. All right, all right. Let's move on before this gets. All right. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Chris wrote on about the Brave and the Bold issues. He said, they were a lot of fun to go through. I have that Firestorm issue, although the cover's been gone for decades. Even as a kid, I felt the artwork was off. Without a strong inker, Infantino tends to go off the rails, especially in the 80s onward. He did like to use that perfect bat symbol shadow, even back in his Silver Age Batman run. I always did like his Batman, but everything else is way off. The JLA satellite looks 
looks more like a floating hubcap in space to me. <laughs> Ronnie looks like an ugly old maid in the last panels. I've never read the Aquaman issue, but now I really want to. Haney never fails to deliver a great plot, even if his characters come from a parallel universe. <laughs> now, uh, the day that the day we released the episode of Firestorm Classic number four, where it was um, the Burt Reynolds, you know, smoking the bandit thing. Right. Uh, he pointed out how weird is it on the day this episode is posted, news breaks that Hal Needham, I don't know if I'm Hal, saying that Hal right. Hal Needham. Needham, uh, director of Megaforce and Smoking the Man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Died that weekend. And, 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 he, and he, never saw, he never saw Megaforce, but he remembers his ads. Yeah, it was, it was frustrating for me that week because uh, I had a stinger all prepared, which was going to be a little clip from Lou Reed, a song by Lou Reed, because I'm a huge fan of Lou Reed, and I wanted to throw a little tribute to him. Uh, and I actually found a lyric from one of his songs where he mentions comic books. Mm. And I was like, that's it. That's going to be the sting. And then, of course, uh, Nick Cardi passed away. And I was like, well, it's got to be Nick Cardi. So, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to the Lou Reed clip because at this point it's kind of, you know, like way out of date. But uh, I was thinking of that. And, and yeah, I thought about that when you mentioned Hal Needham, too. It's like, oh, good Lord. There's too many kind of cool people all passing away all at the same time. I want to hear Jerry Reed's song from um, Smoking the Band. <laughs> I, I, they were I brothers, that, as a matter of fact. I played that on YouTube and just like hit repeat and just keep listening to it because I love that song so much. <laughs> anyway, uh, he wrote in uh, about Nick Cardi. He said, I think I first encountered Nick Cardi's art in one of the DC Digest for printing Ocean Master's first appearance. I was hooked, no pun intended. <laughs> From there, I met him through Teen Titans reprints and back issues. My absolute favorite cover of his Teen Titans number. 14. Quit, Robin. Quit. So moody and powerful. Yeah. I think Cardi had some hand in nearly every issue of the original Teen Titan run, either as an inker or penciler. I have two showcase volumes bag pitched for in-stock trades, and they are gorgeous. I have Rob, the book Rob pitched as well, and it's beautiful. One of the giants of not only comics, but commercial art. I love Rob's interview with him as well, and I never saw his artwork slip either. His most recent stuff was pure Cardi still, and he was into his 90s. Yep. Pretty amazing. Yep. Heard from Michael Bailey. Um... He gave a, a big thumbs up to Power, Power Records, so he's probably ha- happy that that now has its own show. Fantastic. Not that I've been invited to guest host on it or anything. Uh, anyway, that was Shags, not Michael Bailey saying that. <clears throat> you keep taking weeks off, dude. What do you want me to do? S- speaking of guest hosts, uh, I, I rattled off a bunch of guest hosts of Fire and Water Podcast, and I failed to mention Michael Bailey. Uh, I screwed that up. And he said, I was not upset at being left off the, go- the guest host list. I chalk it up to Shag because he and I were on the same episode. His drinking and partying is getting to late 90s Robert Downey Jr. level. <laughs> Robert, nothing to do with it. And then point four, how's, it, how's the view under the bus, Shag? <laughs> and then he wrote, I'm doing this just to be meta. He wrote, this just occurred to me as I reread my comics after they were posted, uh, comments after they were posted. When I'm typing this, I am picturing how Shag and Rob would read them on the air. It's very odd. It keeps happening. It just won't quit. <laughs> How's that? that feel, buddy? Uh, this next bit's a bit long, but I'm going to read it because it's very insightful. All right. It's about Aquaman. It's regarding uh, John setting up something and then promptly ignoring it. Uh, unless you want to read it. No, no, go ahead. Okay. I went through the same thing when Johns was writing Action Comics. On several levels, when Johns was coming on Action Comics, uh, Kurt Busiek was taking over Superman, and they apparently met for several days and hashed out what they were going to do with the character. The result of this was Up, Up, and Away, a great eight-part story that set up Superman and, and his world in the post-Infinite Crisis universe. Clark Kent was a dynamic, go-getting character. His relationship with Lois was strong, and he had all these new versions of the old villains. I was excited. Then that slowly all got chucked out the window. Busick started telling his long story with a flawed premise, and John started working with Dick Connor, uh, Dick Donner, 
there, and suddenly all the tropes from Superman the movie started funneling in. I won't go into the constant delays because they were annoying, and they didn't have much to do with what Johns was doing with the books. So jump ahead a year or so, and things suddenly get started to get back on track. Johns and DC make this huge big deal in the fan press that in Action Comics that the supporting cast was returning. Cat Grant was coming back. Ron Trope was coming back. Steve Lombard was coming back, though why anyone would want this character around is beyond me, because the last thing Superman books needs is some reject from the of bullies from Revenge of the Nerds. Um, the first issue, uh, they were all returned, and it was their, their return was huge, and then not a whole lot was done with them. Now, I can sit here and complain about the fact that Johns keeps doing this to us, but there isn't much point. This is his move now. I think he has good intentions with bringing in supporting cast or a new direction, but in the end, his overall story takes precedence. If he paced his stories a little tighter, he might have room for Salty in the lighthouse and all that, and all that but it's not how he writes anymore. His storytelling is very Hollywood, where the supporting cast will always take a backseat to the overall plot unless they are directly involved. So I feel your pain, Rob. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I think he said all of that quite well. So uh, He pointed out, and a few other people did, that I said Megaforce was a ripoff of Delta Force. Bang! I was wrong. Other way around. Delta Force came after Megaforce, so I'm a little embarrassed. So I was giving you credit for that, though, because I thought that maybe you saw Megaforce after Delta. You know what I mean? You might have seen it on cable, and you didn't necessarily know when they came out. Uh, I, well, yeah, that's what how it happened. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I'll go with that. Heard from our buddy Diablo Frank. Um, boy, did we hear from our buddy Diablo Frank. Uh, I'm going to just cherry-pick some of his comments here. For those of you who don't know, Diablo Frank sort of writes his own companion piece to the Fire and Water podcast. <laughs> he writes uh, um, like a term paper every episode, and it's fantastic, and I love it, and it's sort of the listeners. So you need to go out to Firestorm Fan Rockman and try to read his comments. They're well worth your time. He said here, uh, I didn't have regular access to a comic shop until 1987, but didn't really get into uh, get to take advantage of it until 1989, and my heavy DC reading didn't begin until 1993. As a result, a lot of the hallowed ground from the 80s didn't get covered until the 90s, from my perspective. The Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, and Daredevil Born Again reached me uh, the earliest and got through. I was blown away by martial law, which dampened most of the potential impact of Watchmen, though I've always found Alan Moore's clinical scripts problematic. Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters was another one that was revered in its time, but I didn't get to, get to it until much of the ongoing series was already behind Mike Grell, by which point it was a pretty shallow book. I think Hawkworld holds up much better, but lost the race to be, be called first. While Arrow ought to have an impact on the Longbow Hunter sales, it doesn't seem to have, and where Hawkworld should be continue to be recognized, continuity has left it forgotten by modern audiences. You know, I agree. That, that Hawkworld first trade paperback was really, really, really good. Longbow Hunters is also really, really, really good. And the stuff that came after it did not do them justice. Uh, let's see. Comics sell comics. That was something I had said in one of our episodes. We were talking about whether movies help sell comic books. Comics sell comics is, a pretty, accurate, uh, is pretty accurate for comic shops. I had accessible neighborhood stores, so a movie would usually bring a couple or, or three interested new readers. But keeping those customers was always a challenge. Bookstores offer a much smoother transition for new readers since they can browse through the wealth of trade paperbacks until they find something that grabs them. Floppies are much harder to jump aboard, and a few shops are very hospitable and stocked well enough for a casual reader of, uh, for trades to purchase. So he said, and as bookstores, uh, as goes the bookstores, uh, so do comics. So why, that's why digital distribution is essential to reach the readers. I love this bit. Uh, point 17, none of my letters ever got published, not even to Wolverine or Wizard. Clearly, I'm working through some issues in these comments. <laughs> I, I tend to look at Frank's commentary as, uh, I don't know if you ever buy movies like on DVD, but like when 
the Criterion Collection puts movies out, which is like the super high end, like really, you know, like critically renowned films. They come with these little booklets written by like history professors, you know, <laughs> and that's what Frank's are for every single episode of. Them. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that's why we have to cherry pick what we say. Yeah. Um, he wrote in the defense of the New Fifty Two. Even in because of the absence of a book of his own, Marsha Manhunter looks and abilities have been amped up to such a degree that people are looking to him again in a way that they haven't since the early years of Morrison and Porter's JLA. Interest in the character has been building in recent weeks thanks to Injustice Gods Among Us. I'm also glad a lot of the pre-crisis elements of Wonder Woman lore have been reintroduced, especially Steve Trevor, who, despite being a jackass for decades, did not deserve to be sidelined for an entire generation of readers. And uh, he describes himself, uh, being Captain Contrary is my job. Rob's lawful good, Shag's neutral good, and I'm lawful evil. I shouldn't have to explain the the dynamic 61 episodes in. (laughs) (laughs) I like being good. I like that. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. Yep. Uh, Let's see. On the Brave and the Bold episode, he says, I wasn't deep pocket. I I wasn't (laughs) deep pocket. I, know, I can't get it out. I'm laughing. I wasn't Deep Pockets Rob Kelly over here growing up. So I got more like three to four comics a month. Right. Not in a it was week. like $2 a week. Like, let's not. Come on. You know. Hey, he get his grit paper route. Uh, I had to be frugal. So team and team up books gave me the most bang for my buck. Marvel 2-in-1 didn't, didn't get newsstand distribution in my area, but I bought the rest. Marvel team up and Brave and the Bold were the best. But I came in during their final days and got to watch both titles die. I was less faithful the DC Comics Presents, which helped to teach me that Superman comics, by and large, suck. And if... if these, sorry, that cracks me up. If these were the gateway book, they appear to have been DC Comics... Sorry, if these were the gateway book, they appear to have been, DC Comics Presents had the exact opposite of its intended effect, and of course, DC and their wisdom kept it going the longest. Uh, this is interesting. Different opinion. Objective... Let's talk about... Uh, uh, still Brave and the Bold. Objectively, the Bob Haney story is no better than the Jerry Conway one. It's brimming with nonsense, and all that time spent on planes and ships bore me. However, it's drawn by Jim Apara, which makes all the difference in the world. Deep-sea diving with a 15-foot cape? Why wouldn't you have Apara on board? You know, Batman and Aquaman would have... If Batman and Aquaman had just openly communicated to one another, 75% of the story's conflict would have been immediately resolved. (laughs) Uh, he talks about Delta Force and Mega Force. Uh, let's, jump to Luke Jack- yeah, let's jump to Luke Jack and Eddie. Uh, Shag saying that Batman better hope that Firestorm flies over a major highway made me laugh. This is still talking about Brave and the Bold. <laughs> all, all I could think of was the old bit I saw once uh, about the other members of the Justice League being annoyed that they can only fight crime a few blocks from the just- Hall of Justice because Batman had to drive there. <laughs> so, so Rob's joy of the Aquaman story was completely self-evident. Of course, the Atlantean switchboard is right up there with Aquaman's clamshell cellular phone <laughs> from the Supergirl strip in Wednesday comics. <laughs> great. Now, he pointed something out. We talked about the Defenders upcoming series from uh, Netflix and Marvel, and we're like, none of these characters were ever in the Defenders. Whoops. He said, fellas, Luke Cage was a recruit, was a reoccurring member of the Defenders for three years all right, in the mid-1970s. All right. Now, so now okay, we're going to jump ahead a little bit because cause Luke took us to task for the last episode for being kind of negative, and he was saying that, like, you know, we weren't giving DC enough credit for their shows and development, and I, I, I take him at his word. I think he's right about that because we were giving Marvel a bunch of credit for a bunch of shows they haven't produced yet while we were sort of not giving DC credit for shows they don't they, they still have in development. So I think he's right on that. 
But I'm calling shenanigans on saying Power Man was part of the Defenders. Okay, yes, maybe he was. But I'm saying by using those four characters and then calling it the Defenders is ridiculous. The fact that Power Man was a member for three years. I'm sorry. That's like saying we're going to do four new shows. DC's going to put out four new shows. Nightmaster, uh, Jason's Quest, Sugar and Spike, and Nuclon, and call it Justice League. I mean, yeah, technically, Nuclon was in the, you know, I mean, if you're going to call something the Defenders, it really should be any of those core characters, of which Power Man was not. But, you know, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, that's we it. I'm, from... that's, wait, I'm sorry. That's it. I'm really looking forward to the Power Man show. Of the four shows, that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Now, you know, in hindsight, was it Power Man or was it Luke Cage? Oh, it was Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Well, okay, anyway, good. Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Well, there, there's a new Power Man oh, in the Marvel there? Universe. Okay, I mean yeah, Luke, yeah. Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Yeah, yeah. Luke I Cage hope, rocks. I hope they okay. make it look like a 70s exploitation movie. That'd be awesome. Oh, my God. That would be so awesome. Walk at you, walk at you, walk at you, walk at you. <laughs> All right. Heard from Little Russell Burbage from Hub City, Illinois. Uh, over on – somebody's going to start figuring this crap out sooner or later. Nobody said a word. Anyway, uh, he says, I have to disagree with the majority of Firestorm fans out there when I say I hated, hated, hated Firestorm number four. I hated it so much that it was the last issue of Firestorm that I ever bought after having picked up the original ongoing and all the back issues, uh, backups and Flash and enjoying those. See, I was a huge JLA fan, still am, and I had my copy of The Amazing World of DC Comics number 15, which explained some of the JLA bylaws. Sad, sad soul. Anyway, in that, there is very clearly a comment about the members all have to be full-time superheroes and above the age of 21, or something like that. I don't have a copy handy at the moment. I figured you had like tattooed on your arm or something there, uh, Russell. Anyway, so when Firestorm shared his dual identity with his teammates in this issue, I fully expected some additional scene, either here or in JLA, where they addressed the issue of his age. But what did happen? Nothing. Not a blame thing. In fact, the JLA disappears from this issue entirely. They not only call in Ray, or not, not only do they don't call in Ray Palmer to help Professor Stein, they allow Firestorm to go back and handle Killer Frost all by himself. Well, mostly. This is stupid. Stupidest moment when Ronnie and Russell and Red Tornado go after Kurt Holland. Don't you think Superman or Wonder Woman have gone instead? He's only there because it's a Firestorm book. But in a real adventure, that wouldn't make any difference. Wow. <laughs> I think Russell was off his meds this day. Because I'm just saying, you know, we talk about, like, you read comics, it's like, yeah, you got to suspend some disbelief there. So, anyway, I'm just saying, Russell, you might want to chillax a little, buddy. We love you. Yeah, he comments on, on the Shrine about episode 68, Firestorm Classic again. So talk about Aquaman this time. He says, unfortunately, I have to agree with Rob here. Oh, unfortunately. Aquaman 24 <laughs> could very well have been told in approximately six pages. Aquaman wakes up. Volko shows him where they are. Ice Chair tells Arthur the past events. Aquaman is ready to go again the end. Black and, by the way, since Orin and Atlan were brothers, Arthur is technically related to both the villains and the heroes. Kind of stupid, that. Uh, also... <laughs> Also, I didn't really thought about this, but Chag, your theory that Mira was related uh, to, to the royal throne? Well, now that we know that Aquaman is too, that means they're related and they're doing it. So maybe Ooh, well, they're um. Well, wait. If Aquaman's the son of one king, yeah, and Mira's the son of the other king, who were brothers. Yeah, but it's like a thousand plus oh, years ago. Well, maybe that maybe that run that's that's okay down in Florida, but in the rest of the country. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Luke Luke Dobb, the dastardly creative Luke Dobb, 
on the Facebook comment regarding Aqualad and Tusky. He did a, a wonderful drawing of Aqualad and Tusky. We'll put it on the Tumblr of a boy and his walrus. It's really very, very, very beautiful as everything is that Luke does. Uh, which led to this little ditty about Merck and Doreen, two of the worst supporting cast the oh, world has no, ever seen. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Little ditty about Merck yeah, and Doreen. Yeah, i got to sing it like yeah, I've refused to sing it. Yeah. Two of the worst supporting cast the world has ever seen. <laughs> Merck's a renegade world guard. Doreen's fat perm can't bring the boys to the yard. All right. Done. <laughs> yeah, I begged Luke to really do this song for like months. <laughs> Poor Luke. He's getting all these messages from me on Facebook. So have you written the song yet? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I need this, man. I need this. See, Rob got an Aquaman song. Come on. But, you know, I did get the Amazing Firestorm song. So, I, you know, no, I'm not knocking it. Right. Well, we also want to give him his award. That's right, folks. The long, uh, absent, and much-coveted Steam Award goes to Mr. Luke Dobb, the most dastardly creative man alive, for his mashup photo of his dog Rory in a Firestorm costume. <laughs> awesome. So I will put that up on the Tumblr as well, and congratulations to Luke Dobb. Rory's a bad little boy in that he tore up uh, Luke's copy of Hey Kids Comics. Oh my gosh. Well, he's a puppy. Puppies eat things, really? so. <laughs> now, um, we're running short on time, but we do need to bring something up. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, what I call the Great Earth 2 Aquaman debate. We're not going to get into this at this point. However, uh, needless to say, I compiled all the comments about the Earth 2 Aquaman um, that we got. It's nine pages long, mm-hmm. just the Earth 2 Aquaman comments. The vast majority of people uh, say – because what this happened, if, if you don't know what we're talking oh, about. Pl- let's – oh, please. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm all just right. going to say okay. Go argument about – whether there was really an Earth 2... There's no denying there was a Golden Age Aquaman. The question is whether he was Earth 2 or Earth 1. We had a huge argument about it. Right. Now, I'm going to pull the curtain back just for a moment to put some y'alls at ease. We got some legitimate emails from people that were very concerned about Rob and I's fight. Because we went toe-to-toe, and there was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of me acting like a, you know, an infantile teenager saying, no, you're wrong, kind of thing. Um, just so you know, that argument was purely for fun. In fact, when we stopped recording, Rob and I laughed hysterically together. This was not a legitimate fight. We, were, we weren't at each other's throats. But it wasn't a fake fight either. We weren't pretending. That's true. It wasn't staged or anything, but, we, no. but it, there was no malice or no, anger behind it. Not at all. So, not at all. Um, and part of it is we have this philosophy on the show, and I don't know if we've ever really talked about it on the show, but we'll just share it here. Um, the show is called the Fire and Water Podcast. And as the name suggests, you have two elements that conflict with each other. Conflict. Also – we believe that it's a lot more interesting to listen to people with diverse opinions, which is part of the reason why I love this community, because people don't agree. It's great. It's much more listening to people share diverse opinions than share a bunch of homogenous opinions. If Rob and I just sat around and went, yeah, I totally agree all, the, all day long, it'd be boring. So, And sometimes it's just fun to play argue, you know? And so uh, anyway, I, I want you guys to know, while I, I truthfully do feel that Roy Thomas's inclusion of the Earth 2 Aquaman in All-Star Squadron, I feel like it does contradict – 20 years of history established by Gardner Fox and Len Wein and Denny O'Neill and Jerry Conway. I don't really care that much. <laughs> Again, we were arguing for fun. Uh, sort of imagine us as like brothers who like to pick on each other just to get on each other's nerves. Right. So. I mean, I was, I was irritated that Frank, that Shag kept interrupting me. And so I was pissed off when I, and that's what I yelled, but it wasn't, it's weird. It's like, this show is not me performing. I'm not faking this, but it's also not, 
I don't know. It's 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 like a weird hybrid between being real and being being on stage. And uh, I was like, Shag was was just poking at me through the whole show. <laughs> just kept interrupting me and was driving me effing nuts. So that's when I lost my cool when he just did it one too many goddamn times. I was like, enough already. <laughs> So that's really what it was. But, the, yeah, the minute it came out of my mouth, I was not angry. You know, I was just like, okay. So we do need to wrap this up because we've been doing feedback for 90 minutes now. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But I want – so what we're going to do is I'm just going to list everyone here who sent in a comment about this topic. Because oh, that's, that's a good way to get it. That's yeah. going to do it, and we're going to end with something special. So these are the people who wrote in. Kyle Benning, Sean Corey, Siskoid, my, uh, Kichi Baker, Mike Gillis. Luke Giaconetti, Martin Stein Returns, a.k.a. Robert Gross, Benton Gray, Earth 2 Chris, Little Russell Burbage, Diablo Frank, of course, he weighed in with another mini novella, uh, DC Dill, who was very upset that we seemed so mad at each other. We were not. Really, we're fine. Tim Wallace. He, he, I, I got to say, DC Dill did an amazing amount of research, too. He did. I mean, he really did. Tim Wallace, Ben Avery, Ange, Martin Gray, Jack Dower, uh, David M. Gutierrez, and Luke Dobb. And then we're going to... Yes? Wait, I, I do want to add... It's quite, it, no, 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 no. This is legit. If I missed you, I apologize. Because like I said, I did not go through and pull the Twitter and Tumblr and, and some of that stuff. So if you commented on the social medias, I apologize if you did not get included in this list. That was not a slight. It's just it's a matter of time available to pull the comments together. Right. There okay, yes. And the last person uh, that I'm going to mention who weighed on this decision is Roy Thomas himself. Dun, dun, dun. I wrote to Roy because I know Roy via email. Uh, he's been uh, quite a pal to me in terms of answering my nerdy questions. And I wrote Roy and told him about our argument. And this is, what, <laughs> this is what Roy had to say. Hi, Rob. The question is meaningless because it all depends on definitions. I was the Earth 2 editor, informally before formally, and it was my call. Logic dictated that since there were Aquaman stories in the 1940s, there would be an Earth 2 Aquaman. Some other DC editors may have not wanted one, but their viewpoint was illogical. You're right. Just as there were years before Earth 2 Superman showed up, the same was true with Aquaman, Roy. <laughs> and that is going to be the end of this episode of the Fire and Water <laughs> Podcast. You can follow us on Tumblr, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You can email us, firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. You can follow Firestorm Fan at firestormfan.com. On Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram. Did I get them yep. all? Okay. And, tum and Tumblr. I thought I said that. Okay, and Tumblr. AquamanShrine.net, uh, also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can get in votes. We're having a little thing here at the end about um, listing some of your favorite Jeff Johns moments from Aquaman New 52. We can get all those in just as uh, his uh, time with the character wraps up. Uh, we thank you, everybody, for listening, and thanks so much for the feedback. We got to as much of it as we can. We really do appreciate it. Uh, every single bit of it. It's really quite touching that you guys care so much about the show. So we really love it. Single best podcasting listening community in the cosmos. Absolutely. So uh, fan the flame and ride the wave, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better.
Aquaman, and Firestorm. Super friends forever. Yeah. Three, two, one. <clears throat> Hello, I am the Irredeemable Shag, and with me is... Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. No, I screwed it up. That's okay. Let's try we're it not again. From our, we're not from our sites. We're from a podcast. Yeah, let's try it again. Jesus. All you gotta do is say your name. That's all you gotta do. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Five, four, three, two. Hello, this is the Irredeemable Shag, and with me is... Rob Kelly. We're from the Fire and Water Podcast. We're here to, uh, man. Hello, this is the Irredeemable Shag, and with me is... Rob Kelly. From the Fire and Water Podcast. And we're here to wish the Lantern Cast a happy fifth anniversary. And to little Chad Bokelman. Yes, now what? Supposed to do the orange lantern. Thing. I can't. I oh god. You want me just to do the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, I do. I really do. I can't. I can't. It's you know what? This is performing. I can't perform. Okay. This you is, can just say your name. Can you do that? I much can for do me? that. I just can't do the okay. rest of it. The rest of it is like I can't do it. I can't. It's, 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 I'll, I'll hold your. I'll hold your it. hand. It's okay. You know, for an artist. You really should be able to do this kind of stuff. This, this, right. this has nothing to do with that. What are you talking to? Completely it's all, all right brain kind no, of stuff. No, that's, no. That's no. ridiculous. <laughs> this should go on the friggin' day, day, end of our show. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello. This is the Irredeemable Shag. And with me is... Rob Kelly. We're from the Fire and Water Podcast. We're here to wish the Lantern Cast a happy fifth anniversary. And, of course, to little Chad Bokelman. And in honor of your anniversary, we're going to recite a, a lantern oath for you. Fly, 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 fly. 